What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode, brand new episode of the Yamatelaka TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Tuesday, November the 2nd, Wednesday, November the 3rd, the year 2021. Got lots to do, lots to talk about today. Jason Nazario, host of the J Reels podcast, is going to join us in a little bit uh, to recap week eight of the National Football League, talk about the Chicago Blackhawks sexual assault scandal that's taken the hockey world by storm and talk about the 2021 uh, World Series between the Houston Astros and the Atlanta Braves. Um, i give you my two cents as the NFL trade deadline is coming gone. Henry Ruggs will never play football again for the Las Vegas Raiders and will spend a good bit of time uh, in the slammer for killing someone uh, via being a drunk driver. Um, and, of course, we will recap the uh, Monday Night Football game here at the top to begin the program. Since um, I have Jason on and we will go through and go forward with uh, with uh, recapping the uh, Week 8 NFL games instead of me, you know, recapping the 1 o'clock window of games at the top, take a break, you know, uh, and then do the, uh, do the 4 o'clock slash uh, Monday night slash Sunday night uh, slate of games and then give my and then give the Bengals their own independent segment and away we go. We figure we do the Bengals and the entire week eight with Jason and uh get and spend the monologue on talking about the most recent week eight game and the last week eight game of the twenty twenty one NFL season. That was the Monday night game that was between the New York football giants and the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, the Chiefs won this game as I as I expected them to. Uh, did I anticipate this? Anticipate this game coming down to a field goal and the Chiefs uh, being held to under twenty eight points? You're damn right, I did. But they won the game nevertheless, improving the four and four on the season. Two and two at Arrowhead Stadium, winning the game by the final score of twenty to seventeen. Uh, but it was not a pretty sight uh, for from a Giant or from a Kansas City uh, Chiefs standpoint. From the Chiefs first, and then I got a bone to pick with the Giants again. Um, you know, the Chiefs. I understand that they gave up that they gave up uh, seventeen points in the game, and they only allowed two touchdowns. I so I get that. I understand that they forced. That that they uh, that they, Daniel Jones didn't you know go crazy he only threw for two hundred and twenty two he only threw two hundred and twenty two passing yards he got sacked three times through interception so he didn't one great and you know the Giants wide receivers didn't go crazy in the game and take over the game either with an explosive performance but as Mahomes said after the game the defense did a hell of a job a hell of a job Patrick is a little strong considering that the considering that. Uh, that the uh, that the Giants averaged uh, six yards uh, averaged six yards a pass and and still walked out of Arrowhead with uh, three hundred with three hundred total yards of offense and they only ran fifty six total offensive plays. You ran seventy seven uh, total offensive plays and only had sixty eight more. A total offensive yards than the Giants did. So hell of a job, hell of a job by the defense, as he said after the game. To Lisa Salters is a little strong, um, uh, is a little strong, uh, and also beca- and also because of the fact that your defense only forced the Giants that make a habit and make a habit out of turning over the football. They only turned it over once, and that was in the first quarter. So I don't know what game Patrick is. It, it was a lot better. Uh, than reason performances, but a lot better talking about the Chiefs' defense isn't saying much at all. Uh, but I don't know what game he was watching where he thought that the Kansas City Chiefs did a quote-unquote hell of a job uh, defensively. It was better. It was much improved, but hell of a, 
I mean, a hell of a job is forcing Danny Derps to throw three interceptions, uh, force a couple fumbles, and holding the and keeping the Giants out of the end zone. We're only holding them to one touchdown. Not, you know, they they you know they not not two, and keeping them to under you know two hundred and seventy five uh, total yards of offense. That that is defense. That is defense. The, the, the Chiefs got lucky because of the fact that the Giants' offense is more inept than the Chiefs' offense is right now. And the fact that, that the uh, Giants have Danny Derps as their quarterback and not Patrick Mahomes. It's funny. I even tweeted after the Mahomes' inter- uh, goal line interception, uh, which he, again, doing entirely too much. I don't know who the hell he was throwing to and what the... Uh, and what the uh, goal was of that uh, of that pass pattern that they ran down at the goal line on the Chiefs' opening possession of the game at the beginning of the first quarter, but I I tweeted it's I tweeted you know you know maybe the John and I wasn't even talking about the game I was just talking about just during the opening sequences of that game maybe the Chiefs will get lucky because of the fact that they're playing the derp that is the New York Football Giants and I tweeted that out because I said it live as God be my witness as my brother and sister who I was watching a game with eating Kentucky Fried Chicken at the time be my witness as well they as they, them two and as God be my witness that sentence was out of my mouth for not even two seconds and Daniel Jones threw an interception so and 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 and, and, and that essentially was the entire game in a nutshell that the that the Giants defense would make stop after stop after stop on top of the fact of the uh Ken City's offensive and and glaring uh, egregious offensive ineptitude, the Giants would get opportunity after opportunity, and they and they and they wouldn't deliver the goods and whatnot. As I say all the time, you know, whether it's whether it's the Brady Patriots or the uh, or the Kansas City Chiefs over the last couple of years during their qu- years of quote unquote dominance, you got to put the stake through these teams. You got to put the stake through them when they're down for the count. You got to put the you got to be ultra aggressive. You got to put the stake through them. And you got to finish them. You got to finish those. You got to finish those teams. They didn't. They didn't finish. They did not finish the the Giants. Did not finish the Chiefs last night on many of opportunities. For instance, for instance, I tweeted uh, on a fourth uh, on a fourth and one. They were down by four. This was about at ten o'clock at night. Fourth and one, down by four. You're in DC and got decent field position. Joe Judge, go for it. Please, it's the Kansas City Chiefs, not the Philadelphia Eagles or Washington. Down by four, it's fourth and one, second half of the game, decent field position. Keep your offense out out there on the field. Take a chance, take a risk, and go for it. Playing conservative with the punts. Now, now I'm now I'm annoyed. Now I'm annoyed at the Giants. Now, I mean, with the conserv with the conservative decision making. I mean, I mean, it's just it's it's, it's ridiculous. There's a, ch- a chance of that opportunity where the Giants had a chance. You know, I believe it was a, I, I believe it was, a, I forget what uh, point in period of the game, but it was a fourth and short. They're inside, uh, they're they're in scoring, they're in scoring position on Kansas City side of the fifty, and they decide to kick a field goal instead of going for the six. Go for the gusto, Joe Judge. Go. For, you're playing Kansas City. This is Monday Night Football. Your team has been a complete dud all season long. Kansas City themselves stink, relatively speaking, compared to previous years. Go for the gusto. Fourth and short, go for it. Don't punt. 
Fourth, fourth and short. Don't kick the field goal. Put the ball in the end zone. Score the touchdown. Send Kansas City Andy Reid a message that you mean business. This conservative play calling that the Giants did all night long on Monday. It drove me crazy. Fourth and one. Around, around, hovering around midfield, giant hovering around midfield, Joe Judge decides to punt on fourth and one. Oh my goodness, great! And this is a guy that, that that carries himself and thinks of himself as if he's the next uh, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick reincarnated. I mean, go for go for it, take a chance. Let tell Kansas City, send Kansas City a message that you're not messing around. Go for the gusto, be ultra aggressive. Nobody expects you to win this game anyway. Be aggressive. Get something done. Go for it. See if you if you can score a touchdown. Keep the drive alive. Settling for three. And then they get the ball at the end of the first half, and it's just there's no they got no timeouts left. Lack of you know lack of discipline. They got penalties all over the place. Guys failing to get out of bounds. You know, not taking not taking uh, aggressive shots down the field so they can kick a field goal or see if they can put the ball in the end zone before the half. I mean, undisciplined penalties all over the place, incomplete passes, guys not getting out of bounds on reset on 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 easy little dink and dunk receptions in the middle of the field, lack of urgency, not sprinting to the line of scrimmage to you know see if they can spike the ball or see if they can get a a uh, you know run a four verticals concept down the field so they can you know get a get a big completion or draw a pass interference penalty to set up their kicker to kick a to kick a field goal before the half. I mean no Sent, I mean, they, and on top of it, they got to delay a game penalty. Delay a game penalty. And they walked out of the first half with no points. Knowing good and full well, Kansas City got the ball to start of the second half. Or did they? I, I can't remember. You know what? Let me, let me check that just so I can be accurate. Let me check that just so I can be accurate. Uh, let me see. Uh, at the end of the, let me see, um, end of the half, uh, yeah, Kansas City got the ball, start of the second, no, wait, Giants get the ball, but still, the fact that the Giants got the ball to start of the second half made it even worse, because you had an opportunity where you could steal, where you could steal, you get the ball back to back at the end of the half and at the start of the second half. Where you could have walked out of there at the score at that time was uh, the score at that time was was uh, four, was four, was fourteen was fourteen ten Kansas City. You were down four. Had an opportunity to kick the field goal, so you could only be down one, and then get the ball back on your opening drive, and either put the ball in the end zone or get another field goal to put yourself out on top. But best case scenario, you know, you score a touchdown at the end of the first half, which makes it 17-14 heading into the halftime. And then, you know, best case scenario again, opening possession start of the second half. You go down the field, put the ball in the end zone, you're up 10 points. You're up two scores. Next thing you next thing you know, it's 24-14 Giants. 
But what happens? They fought around on their on their final drive before the half. Undisciplined penalties, delay a game. They can't get out of bounds. The clock's moving. They have zero, and I do mean zero, sense of urgency and sense of aggression trying to move the ball up and up the field with no timeouts left. See if they could get a score before the half. I mean, they they wasted my time, your time, their time, the coach's time, the fan wasted everybody's time on that final possession before the end of the half. And then they get the ball, and then they get the ball back. Start of the third, and then they get the ball back. Start of the third quarter, and the and the Giants go three plays, nine yards, punt the football. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's just, I mean, it's it's, it's more the same from the Giants. More of the same. I know ownership, Gettleman has to go. We know that. And Judge needs to go too. I am so sick and tired of Joe Judge and his foolishness. It's my, I, 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 he had me bent out of shape and I've had a vendetta and I'm going to have a vendetta against him uh, since back in August when he thought he was Mr. Tough Guy high school football coach from 1981 making his team, uh, you know, run laps around the, around the practice facility out there in Jersey until, until their legs gave out underneath them, you know, running in, in the, uh, in the August heat. You know, trying to make himself out to out to be Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. Army uh, Drill Sergeant during uh, during uh, World War Two, making his team run until they until they collapse in the middle of the field with a heat stroke because he wants to make sure that we're you know we're we're a football team. We're not gonna you know beat ourselves. We're not gonna play undisciplined football. We're not gonna create our own. Mis- we're not gonna have self inflicted uh, and mistakes. We're not gonna do any of that. You know, and a guy that carries himself with that pompous, pretentious, arrogant attitude, like he's the second coming of Nick Saban and Bill Belichick reincarnated when he hasn't won a freaking thing, a thing, as a head coach at the NFL level. Not a thing. Nobody, I said it back in August and I'll say it again. And nobody cares about him riding the coattails of Belichick and Saban to winning Super Bowls and national championships as an assistant head coach. Nobody cares. He didn't have a freaking thing to do with those championships. That was all Belichick and all Saban and their greatness. Joe Judge had zero, had nothing to do with those championships. Nothing. He's done nothing. He's accomplished nothing. He is a zero. He has done nothing but lose and invent new ways to lose football games for the New York football giants. He's invented more ways to lose games than he actually has won games. He's done nothing in his NFL career. Nothing. But 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 give me garbage as a football fan watching the Giants play. Garbage. G A R B A G E. Garbage. Garbage football. This team is undisciplined. They commit more stupid asinine penalties you can shake a stick at. They had a they had a game altering interception that Mahomes threw that got negated because their stupid defensive lineman lined up in the neutral zone. They had 10 Penalties for 80, 88 yards. Undisciplined football. 
undisciplined football. Penalties left and right, delay a game, lining up off sides, false starts. It's, it's ridiculous. No set to urgency before the half to see if they can try to steal a possession and get a score. Fourth and short and decent and decent field position. You know, let's and let's not be aggressive and show the Chiefs and show America that we mean business playing on Monday Night Football on the road as an underdog. Let's not do that. Let's play it safe and play the field position route and punt the football on fourth and one and on fourth and short. Settle, settle for the three when we should be putting the ball in the end zone when you got a Super Bowl MVP and an NFL MVP as, as the starter, as your opponent's starting quarterback on the opposite sideline. And all I heard about was Joe Judge. He's going to be the guy that's going to change the culture with the Giants. He's the guy, you know, Bill Parcells, he is not. He's the guy that's going to change the culture, that's going to turn around things for the Giants, when all I have seen in his short tenure as Giants head coach is more of the same. Sloppy football, lack of urgency, turn over the football at infinitum, penalties all over the place, undisciplined, sloppy, losing, last place football is what I was what I have seen from the New York football Giants over the last five years or so and it's been highlighted especially by this clown this dope this jerk this no name this pretentious douchebag because I'm gonna call him that this pretentious douchebag that is Joe Judge that is what I have seen losing uninspiring boring lethargic disgusting, despicable, last place football. That is what I have seen. Penalties all over the place, turn over the football left and right, lack of urgency and lack of creativity with the offensive play calling. Jason Garrett's another one who demands to be called coach when he also, whether it's head coach with the Cowboys, offensive coordinator with the Giants, has done a damn thing in his coaching career, no neither. Let's not forget Jason Garrett as well. A guy who walks around and thinks he's a, he's the next he's the next Tom Landry. Give me a break. Waste of my time, New York Football Giants. You turn over the football too much. When you actually get breaks and get opportunities, you do nothing but squander them and blow them because of your own incompetence and your own lack of football IQ. You're undisciplined. You're not buttoned up, you're sloppy, you're boring, and you invent new ways every single time you play a game, you invent new ways to lose football games. And yet I'm supposed to take Joe Judge seriously to be the next all-time great NFL head coach. He, he can take his Mr. Tough Guy, his Bill, his, his Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, Mr. High School Football Coach, Tough Guy mentality and philosophy, and he can stick it where the sun don't shine. He can stick it. He can shove it up his you-know-what. He can shove it up his booty pipe. Because what I have seen from Joe Judge and the Giants is more of the same. And, and, and in my opinion, it's worse because all this guy screamed and yelled from the rooftops about was, uh, was disciplined, championship, buttoned up, professional, championship level winning football. And all I'm getting is more of the same. 
And it's bad enough that the, that the NFL puts the Giants. Who cares about the fact that they're in New York market? This team stinks. That, that the NFL puts the Giants on national television. That I have to look at their sorry behinds play. I, I, they shouldn't even be on. I don't care that it's the New York Giants and a legacy and a history and all that sort of stuff and the fact that it's New York City. Who cares? They stink. They stink. Stop putting them on television. Making America have to stomach and, and sit through and watch a lethargic, boring, just dull football team play and uninspiring too. More of the same. And it, and it serves Joe Judd's right that he's done nothing but lose. It serves him right. All the crap he pulled in training camp with the rah-rah speeches, talking down to his players, cussing them out as if they're his children, making them run, run laps and do up-downs and burpees like he's some high school football. Take that crap to some high school in in, in South Jer in North Jersey, will you please? Don't, that, that, again, I said in August, I'll say it again. That stuff works on, on high school and on college kids. Not grown men who pay their own bills, got their own family, got their own crap that they got to put up with as grown men that's been around a little bit. That's already been raised and yelled at and screamed at by many a coaches and and, 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 and and by their parents and guardians throughout throughout many a times throughout their lives. They don't want to have to come to work and have to deal with getting humiliated and getting shown up and getting uh em either embarrassed or, or getting uh degraded by their by their football coach. Correction and instruction and harsh coaching and harsh love is one thing. Getting, getting, uh, being condescended by this known by this no name loser is a totally separate thing, and I don't care what Joe Judge says, thinks, or or acts, or whatever. He's making excuses. Well, we our clock management was screwed up because of the headsets. Bullcrap, and I'm not buying that. You, Mister Tough Guy, old school football coach, should know how to win games not without the use of modern technology. Joe Judge, what a fraud. My God, and I, I and I wish, I wish I had the opportunity to say it to his face because somebody ought to say it to his face. I wish I, I ain't scared of JoJo. I can't care less. I wish I had the opportunity to say it to his face. I wish, cause I, cause you, you bet your ass I'd say it to his face because it needs to be said. All the rah rah, all, all, all it's lip service, smoke and mirrors, nothing, but losing. And losing badly and, lo and, 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 and and being boring, too. They're boring uh, upon anything else. They're a boring football team to watch. Dull, boring, and uninspiring. Not to mention undisciplined, sloppy, lack of, mo lack of motivation, and just... Just discombobulated to... And, and discombobulated to the 10th degree. Joe Judge can take his little Mr. Tough Guy coaching philosophies and attitudes and he can and he can and he can shove and he can shove it where the sun doesn't shine. He's nothing but an overrated, pretentious, cocky, arrogant loser. That's all he is. 
There's no big-time NFL head coach. And he needs to go. Daniel Jones needs to go. The GM needs to go. And the owners, the Maris, keep on putting up with this foolishness, need to go as well. All I hear about is is discipline with the Giants and and we're better you know they carry themselves as if they're the New York Yankees of the sport yet they they yet they're most the yet they're the most undisciplined team within the last five years or so to be nice about it they're the most undisciplined team in the sport yet they carry themselves as if they're better and they're above the law and that they're better than any other football team yet all I see them do is is invent new ways to be un, to be an undisciplined dysfunctional organization and invent new ways to lose and blow football games enough of the Giants I've had it and enough of Joe Judge too what a fraud he is anyway had to get that off my chest. Kansas City gets back to four and four. All for them to get, all for them to embarrass themselves and and forget how to play the sport. Once the Packers walk into Arrowhead, come Sunday, and they'll be four and five and below five hundred again. Take a break. Jason Azario of the J Reels podcast will join us. You're listening to the Amtelikatias podcast. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the I'm Telica TIS podcast. Joining me now is sports fan extraordinaire, uh, New York's finest and greatest, and host of the J Reels podcast. You can find that on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, wherever you get your uh, podcasts. Host of the J Reels podcast, sports fan extraordinaire, New again, New York's uh, finest and greatest living in the great borough of the Bronx. Coming at you live is Jason Nazario, uh, making his first ever appearance to the I'm Telling You Tell You This podcast. Jason, good to have you on, pal. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's an honor to be here, and uh, thank you very much for having me, man. Anytime, man. I, I owed you that. I owed you one when you had me on back in the summer of 2020. Um, you know, minding my business, you know, depressed as hell during the summertime, during the pandemic and everything. And Jason right. gets a hold of me via, I think it was either Instagram or Twitter. And he says, Jai, I'm familiar with you calling in the Mad Dog Sports Radio and everything else into your podcast. Hold on, yards. How'd you like to be on my podcast? Next thing you know, you know, on a Friday afternoon, on a Friday afternoon, I'm sitting on the landline uh, breaking down why I became a Bengals fan at the age of five in 2007. But that's right. I, 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 yeah, I owe the Jason a favor. So he, uh, he's a fantastic host. You get a chance to listen to your show after or in between you listen to mine, but we had this uh, nice to have one. So let's jump right into it with the uh, week that was in week eight in the National Football League, just some big time storylines. Um, we'll save our teams for last, the Steelers and the Bengals, but let's get into the uh, the broader picture as far as the NFL is concerned. Um, the Titans taking care of business against the Colts in overtime. No Derrick Henry for about six to ten weeks. We thought it could have been the rest of the season. Thank God, at least from my standpoint, because I'm a big-time Derrick Henry fan, that uh, we will at least see him before the 2021-2022 season is out. Um, But the Titans take care of business, throwing a nice little hot streak going. Their first place in the AFC South, while the Colts, who look like they started to get themselves uh, back together again with a nice win over the uh, 49ers last Sunday night. And then Sunday, you know, they had a nice little cushion there against the Titans all for Carson Wentz to blow it in the end. And they lose that game in overtime to a Randy Bullock field goal. Uh, give me your thoughts on that Titans Colts game. And also got a quick point on Carson Wentz once you do, but give me your thoughts on that Titans Colts game from Sunday. 
Yeah, it's strange. To me, that was the cold season or what was left of it, only because they lost the first four round uh, in Tennessee. So they knew that they had to at least get a split. This is before the news came out about Derrick Henry, him being out, which is a severe blow because now they're just going to let Ryan Tannehill do their best to, but the defenses are going to do their best to try to let Ryan Tannehill beat them through the air. But as far as that game and just the big picture with the Titans and Colts, one of those things where if you're a Colt fan, you got to be frustrated. And you knew that this was pretty much your last stand to do anything as far as the division goes. Not only that, but with the way the AFC is shaping up, who knows? Maybe there is an outside chance for the uh, an AFC wildcard spot. But with the way the Colts have been, they've been so up and down that you can't really trust them, despite the fact that Frank Reich has been a pretty good coach here in his first few years in Indy. And Carson Wentz, he can't seem to get on track. He's like Jekyll and Hyde. You know, one minute, right. as you saw the other day, that pick that he threw where he tried to throw the ball left-handed at the goal line while he's getting sacked in the end zone. Yeah, I got to get to that, but yeah. Yeah, inexplicable. I mean, that's that's a rookie mistake. I get it that he doesn't want to try to – try, he's trying to do something there, but at the same time, he should know better. He had to eat that ball. A safety would have been much better than giving up six points. But the Colts, they're just going to slog through this season, and you would think at the end of the day, they'll probably be on the outside looking in as far as the playoffs go. But with the Titans – Here's a team that they're also Jekyll and Hyde. As they're fact, they're a very weird football team. Yeah, they're six and two right now. They have the number one seed, if you want to even look at it, just about halfway through the NFL season. But here's a team that goes ahead and they not only are the Colts are one thing, but they beat Buffalo, even though Josh Allen couldn't get that extra couple of feet to get the first down, which pretty much ended their hopes. Uh, they destroyed mm-hmm. Kansas City, but then they lose to the Jets. And right. with Mike and they Vrabel, got destroyed by the Cardinals at home week one. Exactly, and you can't forget that. So that's a team that I can't trust 100%. It's weird. With the Titans, when you think that they're going to put up a good performance, they lay an egg. And when you think that, oh, mm-hmm. I don't know how they're going to do here, and they just destroy teams like they did with Kansas City, for instance. So uh, I would think with Tennessee now, it, the – I'm not going to say the bullseye is going to be on them, but there's going to be a lot of pressure for them to even try to get a one seed considering Derrick Henry. If you ask me, he's the MVP of the league. I, I don't, you can talk all you want. Yeah. You can talk all you want about other guys out there, whether it be Tom Brady or even Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, if you want to throw him in the mix, but he has 300 more yards rushing than the next guy on the list. And I get it. It's a passing league. It's not a scenario where when we look back at the, great running backs of even 10 years ago where there was a few guys that were always at the top of the list, but they were separated by maybe not even a hundred yards, but this guy's just far in a way, the best running back in the league. And with Tennessee, listen, they're in good shape. You would think that they're going to make it to the postseason based on what we've talked about, but yeah, as far as a Super Bowl run without Henry there six to 10 weeks, and that's at the earliest six weeks. Who knows right. how that's going to play out? I don't think I could see them in the Super Bowl. I, I didn't see him at, in the Super Bowl at season beginning, but you're absolutely – Derrick Henry, MVP. I mean, he's front runner for MVP prior to him getting hurt. I mean, yeah. you – it's. I understand that, again, the quarterback is the most valuable position in the sport. When you, well, when you take out the fact that quarterback is obviously the most valuable, you throw that out. He's he's the most – 
you and here's the prime example if the titans go on and let's say he's out about you know let's say he's about seven weeks and it's week eight so around week 15 which i think is the final weekend of the of the 2021 calendar year whatever whatever day is the last uh, sa- uh the last sunday in december is if the titans are either treading water to stay in the playoff push or their season completely nosedives into a, in, into oblivion that tells you all the need to know but i guess i understand you take brady away from the bucks they have nothing you take rogers off the packers they have nothing but it's that Derrick Henry is breaking, and it's like you said, the fact that he's doing this in a quarterback-heavy league makes it even more impressive. It's not like that he's doing it, you know, in the seventies, seventies, eighties, nineties, where we're running, we're running the football was the key to winning championships. Twenty twenty-one, you got you got to be able to have a, a solid quarterback, and it's in spite of all of that, he said he could re, he could never play another down again, Jason, and be a first ballot Hall of Famer. That's that's how great he is, and that's like just in a short amount of time during his career. That's how that's how much of an impact he's had on the league as a whole. So it's a, it's a tough loss from t- from Tennessee's standpoint. And then of course you talk about with the Indianapolis Colts, and I get the wins in a minute. You know it's funny. You know the NFC seems to be the more domineering. Uh, it's, it appears to be the more domineering division with the most dominant talent. You know, the, the, car, the there's more Super Bowl contenders in the NFC than there is in the AFC. The Cardinals, the Packers, the uh, the Rams, the Bucks. That's four teams right off the top, right off the top of my head. Compared to the AFC, where it's where it's Buffalo, where it's Buffalo, and then you and then the Ravens, and then you know you kind of debate your way from there. You know who who the Super Bowl contender AFC is, but but it's funny. You know, you look in the NFC, you know, who's going who's gonna to get the seventh seed? What, the, the Vikings that can get out of their own way? You know, and it's the same way it was last year. I, here I am thinking that, well, with the seventh seed, you're going to get teams into the playoffs that have no business being in, which for a perfect example last year was the uh, – there was no reason in the world why the, why the Chicago Bears should have been playing a playoff game against the Saints back in January. But then on the flip side, you add that extra playoff team and last year, the Miami Dolphins go ten and six, and and go they go ten and six, and they miss the playoffs, which is the funniest thing because you could end up having something like that happen this year, where a team where a team goes you know goes ten and seven or uh, or eleven and six, they miss the playoffs, and you get a and you get a team in the NFC that finishes at about nine and finishes about nine and eight or eight and nine. And they end up getting in with the with the extra seven seed as the beneficiary, and a seven seed on the AFC side of things still isn't good enough to make the playoffs. So it's just the fun. Yeah. And then of course with Carson Wentz, you know, and I, it's funny because I was listening to the Pat McAfee show yesterday. You know, Carson Wentz is a dumb football player. I mean, with the with the bonehead asinine decisions that he makes in a game. If if the if you are attempting to throw the football in your left hand with your left hand and you're a right-handed quarterback for about, you know, about a fourth of a percent of your passes, that's not a good thing. You know, I'm I'm sick of him, you know, if the pocket breaks down, play breaks down, he puts the ball in his left, and he just decides to chuck it. No, no, Carson, take the sack. 
I mean, that, that oh, the, the two interceptions he threw in the game was the most dumbest, mind-boggling uh, decisions I've ever seen by a quarterback made on a football field. His complete percentage was atrocious, 27 to 50. Throwing about 51 times is not a recipe for success, especially when, a t- when they got Jonathan Taylor on their team, crying out loud. Threw for 231 yards. I mean, Carson, wake up. He play, he, a, he's too reckless with his body. How the hell you sprain both your ankles on, on one play is, is beyond mind-numbing. So he's reckless as far as taking care of his body is concerned. And then his play itself is reckless, turn over the football left and right. Can somebody tell Carson Wentz, Frank Reich, somebody tell Carson, hey, you're a quarterback here. You know, we, we, we gave up significant draft capital for you. We need you to play a little bit more better. We, we need you to play a little better than this. This is unacceptable. We're supposed to be contending for the playoffs, not tanking for a top five pick. Start playing like it. But anyway. I totally I agree. To get that off my chest. No, I, I hear you. And, and just real quick, I, I won't spend too much time on Carson Wentz because I'm sure you got a lot of the things to get to. But here's the guy that, what was it, in 2017, before shredding his knee at the LA Coliseum, where I believe the Eagles at that time were 10 and 1, he was on his way to becoming an MVP of the league. And I get it. Coming back from injury and then everything that's happened after that, it's almost as if that guy that we saw four years ago, not to say that he has to be exactly that, but he's regressed so much that you don't even think of him as a guy that could be a franchise quarterback. Now, of course, by name and him being a number two overall pick, what was it, in 2015 or 2016? But with Wentz, he's very puzzling because he's a guy that obviously has ability and can make plays, but it's almost as if, there are times you watch him play like that play we've discussed. It's like, has he never even been on a football field before? So uh, yeah, he's very, I, I tell you, he is a Jekyll and Hyde, like I said. And it's funny, you know, you think back, it was like, well, were the struggles that he had in 2019, 2020, was it really all on the Eagles? Seeing his, seeing his play so far with Indianapolis convinces me that maybe it, now the Eagles deserve some of the bit of the blame, you know, the, jogging out you know jj our single white side isn't exactly you know marvin harrison but i mean but i mean they take i mean the eagles deserve some of the blame and howie roseman and everything else but the way but his decision making in and of itself is like i get it your receivers of philadelphia might have been trash but what does that have to do with your personal decision making he's it makes me think that that his failure in philly wasn't entirely on the fact that they had the Nick Foles statue outside of the stadium. He had to play and live in Nick Foles' uh, shadow, and the fact that the uh, and the fact that the fans will never be impartial to him because of the fact that because of the fact that Nick Foles won him the Super Bowl. So it, it makes me it makes me think. Well, Carson, maybe maybe it was a little bit of you a little bit because I've seen you in Indianapolis and you have not your performances has not been anything you know remarkable. He had a decent three quarters. He had a I shouldn't say decent. He had a nice three quarters against the Ravens, and then the fourth quarter he completely fell apart. So I, I, Carson Wentz, a very puzzling and a very dumb football player in my estimation. Um, and then how about the uh, and then how about the uh, the uh, L.A. Chargers? They've dropped two in a row, got the doors blown off uh, by the Ravens, had their bye week, and then hit, and then they're going against the New England Patriots, a sub Again, great coach. You can't necessarily underestimate the Patriots when they still have uh, Bill Belichick as their HC, but they go in, they play the Patriots. We all know, at least in most of everybody's estimation, that 
the Patriots aren't a uh, aren't a playoff contender per se. They can end up being that team that somehow turns it around, goes ten and seven, and misses the whole thing. But you know, Justin Herbert has not played well in his two starts against the New England Patriots. And in, in Week 13, back back last season, he had a 49% completion percentage, only threw for 209 yards, two interceptions, and his team didn't score a single point. And that and that was the year he won Rookie of the Year, just to uh, jog your memory. And then of course, and then of course on Sunday, he only completed 51% of his passes, threw two interceptions. Uh, one of them was a uh, was a horrendous mistake. Um, and then his team only scored 24 points and threw for 223 passing yards. So the Chargers have now dropped two straight. They've had a nice, nice uh, little run to begin the new season. And, was, and it's like ever since, you know, in the last two years, Justin Herbert has gone up against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And the Patriots has had his number both times. Give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, to me, that was a game that I thought uh, I was going to say. San Diego that the LA Chargers yeah. coming off coming off of a bye and I get it it's Bill Belichick it's the whole Patriot persona but I was actually very surprised by the outcome and to think they had a lead and he threw that terrible pick to Adrian Phillips which was to me it was a dagger because in order for a guy like Herbert to really make his mark in this league and not to say that he has to beat the top coaches because again it's not necessarily he versus the coach obviously is Belichick's defensive scheme whatever it is that they're going to game plan from that day but yeah I was very surprised that the coach Brandon Staley didn't try to simplify the offense a little bit I know that they're going to be aggressive I know they're going to try to push the ball down the field but anytime you go up against Bill Belichick it doesn't matter you or I could be in his defensive backfield we're going to make plays that's just how right. Belichick coaches he's going to find football players he's going to find guys that are going to be whether they're going to wreck the game whether they're going to be in pass coverage whether it's you know rush eight uh, i'm sorry rush three drop eight he's always going to find a way and granted that belichick has fallen a little bit on hard times especially at home he's finally got that one victory against the jets but considering at one and four at home and for them to go on the road this was prime for me for the Chargers to really make a statement, not to say that they had to blow out the Patriots by any stretch, but just knowing that they had a lead, ended up losing the game, and that Herbert did not have a great game, uh, definitely they have to go back to the drawing board, knowing that in that division, it's starting to slip a little bit because we know that the Raiders have been have done so far this year. The Chiefs, not really impressive last night, but you think they're going to be heard from again. So for the Chargers to lose a game like that, uh, they definitely have to go back to the drawing board and see what they can come up with next week when they go to Philadelphia on the road with the dreaded time zone difference going west to east and having mm -hmm. to play a game that's uh, 10 o'clock time. time. Exactly. 10 o'clock body time, yeah. Um, and it's and it's also uh, funny because of the fact that, you know, the two games, it's not like, and it's an interesting point you brought up. It's not like, in, you know, on Sunday or when they played them last year that the Chargers had to fly eastward to go play the uh, Patriots at Gillette Stadium. These both have been home games. The Patriots yeah. had to come to them. And they and they still have played a subpar offensively, and you know, and it's you know, it's back to back both years. I understand different coaches, different offensive game plan per se between you know Anthony Lynn and Brandon Staley, but 
not 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 a good not a good sign because God forbid the God forbid the Patriots somehow some way go on a run for the ages or in the next couple of seasons they become a playoff team and the Chargers have to play you know play the Patriots you know in route to try to get to a Super Bowl or whatever then what are you going to do so oh, and, and 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 with Bill Belichick in charge the Patriots aren't going to even if they go two straight seasons of missing the playoffs it ain't you can you you can bet your bottom dollar that Bill Belichick ain't going to make it a third. Because right. he he's, he's he's been he's been around too long and he's won too much and he's seeing Brady out down there in Tampa being successful he's like no I was with 80, 86 Giants ninety Giants uh, six Super Bowls with the Patriots I ain't taking another I ain't taking a third losing season I'm not not doing it I've, I'm too successful oh I'm too old to be putting up with that foolishness but anyway that's neither here nor there. Um, moving on to the uh, speaking of Brady, what this Bucks um, taking or they didn't take care of business. The Saints took care of business against Tampa uh, on Sunday. Brady is now zero and three in the regular season against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or Tampa, the uh, New Orleans Saints. They are one and two in his career as a Buck. Uh, on the road against the Saints in the Superdome. Uh, you know, Brady with the two interceptions, of course, the pick six that was the uh, final coup de grace to their to that uh, game on su- late Sunday evening. And, of course, you know Jameis Winston with a torn ACL and MCL for the remainder of the 2022 season. The Bucks are on the shopping block for a quarterback. We will get to that. We will get to that little uh, – we'll get to the uh, Saints in a moment. But on the Bucks for a quick second you know they've played they've played solid football for the most part all season long you know the uh, the uh, ram loss was ugly this one you know they stayed in it as much as they could but it wasn't but it wasn't enough to get it done you know uh, trevor simeon beat brady for crying out loud um you know is it is it a loss that it's like you know a little piece of humble pie for the bucks so they so so they can continue to progress and and get back on that uh, winning trail and try to repeat the Super Bowl champions? Or do you uh, find concern of the fact now, albeit the Saints were a good football team, I believe heading into this game, they were four, they were four and two heading into this football game coming off a bye. Uh, and they are a divisional opponent. And it's not like that Brady necessarily, you know, beat the living hell out of the Saints last year outside of the playoff game back in January. They he they he had no answers for him at home in that Sunday night game, the second matchup they played. And in week one, his first game ever as a buck in New Orleans back in 2020, they gave him all sorts of fits. Concerned or, or concerned that Brady is having issues beating the Saints, at least as far as the regular season is concerned, going against that good defense. And Dennis Allen is a tremendous defensive coordinator. You concerned about that, or is it something that, you know, it's one of those weird anomalies where you know, come playoff time, the Bucks won't. You know, come playoff time, the Bucks odds are won't go up against the Saints again, and it's just something that you know kind of you know resets the ego for the Bucks who have had a decent seat, who have had a great season so far in 2021. Yeah, I don't think there should be any cause of concern. Uh, first off, have you seen the Buccaneers schedule between now and I think early December, where their next toughest game is against Buffalo at home? When you see how everything has unfolded so far, yes, the loss to the Rams, that could be key, especially when it comes to tiebreakers down the road. And even with the Saints winning, and that was a huge win by the Saints. I know we'll talk about them in a second, but I really don't think that the Buccaneers should look over their shoulders considering with Jameis Winston out. And I'm not trying to make Jameis Winston out to be 
uh, you know, the second coming of you throw any quarterback Archie out there. Archie Manning. Yeah, Archie there you Manning. go. Exactly. Yeah. You always stick with the Saints. So I think the Bucks are going to be fine. Again, their schedule is going to be pretty easy. This is just a blip on the radar. If you want to talk about the psyche of the Buccaneers, considering that they have been unable to beat them, granted they beat them when the money was on the line back in January, but is this a thing where they have to keep this in the back of their mind to say, hey, why can't we beat this team? I don't think so. This is a veteran team. We know who is leading the way at the quarterback position. We understand the roster is just filled with veterans that know how to win. I just chalked this up to just a, a bad loss. And who knows? Maybe when Winston went out, they probably came down. Let the guard down. Yeah, exactly. Let and the they played down. down to Simeon. And next thing you know, Simeon is uh, a conquering hero, at least for one week. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any cause of concern down in Tampa for anyone to raise their eyebrows and think, whoa, is this something that we're going to have to pay attention to as we get deeper into the season? 100%. They are 2-2 two and two on the road. Um, their two, their only two road wins this season are at Philadelphia and against the Patriots, with something to keep an eye on as well. And like you said, you know they got Buffalo, and then of course you kind of have to worry about the Saints the week after because at least in the regular season, the Saints have had uh, Brady as a Bucks, uh, the uh, Tampa Brady's uh, number. Uh, for the last uh, two seasons or so, uh, at yeah. least as far as the regular season is concerned. But the Bucks will be fine. You know, this is one of those losses that, you know, Brady, albeit, albeit he, he wasn't terrible, uh, you know, threw for 375 passing yards, threw for four touchdowns in a game. And by the way, I got a stat for you that I got uh, the other night. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, well, here's a bad stat. I was trying to find a good stat, but this is the one that popped up on my screen first. Uh, Tom Brady has turned over the ball three times. Turned over the ball three times. Was sacked three times against the Saints on Sunday. He's had three games with five combined sacks and turnovers uh, in a Bucks uniform, and all three of them have came against the Saints. I found that to be very interesting. And the other stat was well, here's another one. He's thrown three pick sixes with the Buccaneers. Two of them have come against the Saints. Uh, that also I, I found interesting. And the other one, if I can find it, uh, here it is. The most the most three plus passing touchdown games in NFL history. Brady with nine. Brady is in first all time with ninety eight. He passes Drew Brees, who had ninety seven. Peyton, of course, with ninety three. And then there's the huge gap between. Peyton's 93 and Aaron Rodgers is 77, but I found those stats to be compelling as well. But the the Bucks are going to be fine as far as the Saints are concerned. Taysom Hill's going to be out for a little bit. No, uh, no, Jameis Winston with the torn ACL and MCL. They're shopping for quarterbacks. Uh, Drew Brees wasn't going to come out of retirement. They weren't, you know, made it known that they weren't going to get Cam Newton off the streets. Uh, Philip Rivers said that you know said that he's open if the Saints his high school uh, uh, his inaugural high school uh, high school football coaching uh, season is finished down there in the state of Alabama. So you know he said if the Saints call he's open to coming back. Where do the, where do you think the Saints going to go for a quarterback if they go anywhere at all? As the trade deadline, I believe at the time of this recording has already come and gone. Yes, it has. Uh... That's a good question. I don't know where they would go. Uh, I wouldn't go down the Philip Rivers road. I mean, he retired for a reason. 
I understand he's a guy that in that system would actually work because it's not as if they take big shots down the field. And we know Philip Rivers, he probably can't even break a pane of glass at this point if he would throw the ball past you know, <laughs> 10 or 15 yards. Uh, right. And right, you, you don't want to put all your eggs in the basket of Trevor Simeon because, hey, in a pinch the other day, he was able to pull his team out of the fire and they were able to win the game. But as we know, he's a lifelong backup. You'll see, even if he played against Carolina or the Atlantis of the world, he's a guy that will probably end up, who knows, 12 for 26 for 140 some odd yards and three interceptions. So where they're going to go, I, I don't know. It, the, the first person I actually thought of, and this guy's been pretty much on the shelf throughout all this time, and he's very familiar with the division. Do they go down the road to see if uh, Cam Newton is available? Uh, that's a guy that, again, he can't throw the ball, and I'm not a fan. As you see the ball last year, he's not going to improve by any stretch this year if any team, let alone the Saints, were to pick him up. But you know what? Obviously, he is a name. He is a guy that could also run with the football. He, you know that Sean Payton has a lot of those gadget plays uh, in his uh, on his play sheet, and I wouldn't be surprised with Taysom Hill being out some of that that could be used for a guy like Cam Newton to step in and perform. But uh, at the same time, I, I couldn't even tell you which direction they would go. But the Trevor Simeon experiment for one week, experiment for one week worked. But obviously over the long haul, it's not who they bring out. On, I don't know, but I'll throw out Cam Newton's name as a prediction to see if uh, they bring him in for a workout and who knows if they sign him for the rest of the year. They should. Uh, they said, and I saw this via uh, Florio on Twitter on Monday morning, uh, per source, the Saints will not be pursuing Cam Newton to replace Jameis Winston. So, oh, there you go. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, so, I mean, way, way going to go. You've had, you've had two good for, for your first season without Drew Brees since 2005. You've had, a, you've had a pretty, you've had a, you've had a decent season thus far. You blew out the Packers week one, which was hella impressive. You had a bad loss to the, you had a bad loss to the Giants. You lost to Carolina, albeit fine, but you get Atlanta next week, Tennessee, no Derrick Henry, by the way, Philadelphia, who stinks. They won't be favored to beat Buffalo on Thanksgiving night. Dallas, I wouldn't give them much of a shot either. So that's, you know, that's two losses. That's, that's two losses, which, uh, so if you go down the list, you know, they're, what are they? They are five and they're five and two. You go down the schedule. Uh, they play Atlanta, give them a win six and two. Tennessee, let's say for the second conversation, seven and two. Philadelphia, eight and two. They dropped two straight, eight and four. So they're eight and four when they play the Jets. Nine and four, Bucks. I say they lose that game. Nine and five, Miami. Ten and five, ten and five. So they could fit. They could. They could honestly finish the season twelve and five. Might not be good enough to win the division, but you know, you they could walk. They could realistically walk out of walk walk out of this season uh, come early January with twelve wins and and get and get a wild card spot if uh, if the Bucks don't fall apart. So that's why you shouldn't play around with this and and unless you you know see if you can get Nick Foles you know see and I understand the deadline's gone I mean what are you going to do but he, Trevor Simeon I, I don't believe I it's not the no. I saw plenty of him at Denver and he was terrible so I don't I don't think he's the answer and I think that the your best bet uh, is to uh, is to get Cam Newton, or if you really want to make a whole lot of noise and really, you know, set the world on set the world on fire, say, oh, what, you know, throw a take a shot in the dark and sign Kaepernick off the street. But anyway, man, no. I don't expect that to happen. 
But, no, no, definitely not. You know, if you take take a shot in the dark and then sign Kaepernick, you never know. You never know what you might get. Um, and then of course you go with the uh, and then with the Cowboys with the, with an impressive victory on Sunday night. Cooper Rush coming off the bench, you know, with a phenomenal performance and their Sunday night win over the Vikings. The Cowboys' offense it struggled at times, it stalled at times, but for the most part. It didn't skip. It didn't skip much of a beat because Cooper Rush went right down the field, a la like a Prescott, like a Starbuck, like a uh, a Troy Aikman went down the field and led a game-winning touch and led a game-winning touchdown drive for Dallas. Give me a thoughts on Dallas Cowboys' impressive victory and the fact that they have not lost the game. They have not lost the game since Week One against the Bucks. Give me your thoughts on the Dallas Cowboys. Are they the hottest team in the NFC and the top-heavy favorite? Uh, yeah, it's interesting. The NFC, and we can talk about that in a second. Uh, as far as the Cowboys, think about this. Both the Cowboys and Packers had week one losses, and they haven't lost since. But then right. you ask, who's the hotter team? Would it be the Cowboys, considering what they've done since then? And obviously, a game that I'm sure a lot of people on Sunday night uh, didn't have a lot of fanfare because Dak Prescott was out where Cooper Rush was in. So maybe... Not that the NFL fan is going to go watch the World Series, but maybe they felt, ah, the casual fan, let me see what's happening. Well, between. Well, here's the thing. The the rating for, the for what was that, game five of the World Series in a Sunday night game it was split right down the middle. They basically, yeah, which, they basically, they basically got the same rating, which, which was hard to believe that that baseball didn't get destroyed by a Dallas Cowboys Sunday night game. So it's so it kind of split 50, 50 down the middle, which, which is, which is surprising. Now I understand sorry. the factors into it because they had the Bucks Saints game as the lead in and the fact that it was a clinching game. And, you know, the, the casual sports fan wants to see it, wants to see that, that championship setting of the confetti going off and the celebration at Joey Supreme Day everything else but it was shocking they split the rating for the game five of the world series in the uh viking cowboy game and i and a lot of that has to do with the fact that there probably was no Dak prescott who wants to watch you know kirk cousins play in prime time which is a yeah. whole other separate issue but right. so it's split down the middle but anyway you may continue i had to throw that in no that's fine uh no but as far as the cowboys are concerned they are playing especially their offense they are high octane we know who the cast of characters are. Prescott, you would think he should be back this week. And the Cowboys, they're legit. I know you could look at that defense and maybe it could be a little suspect in areas. We know Trayvon Diggs is on the verge of maybe being the defensive player of the year. But uh, that's a Cowboy defense that isn't uh, anything like it was yesteryear where you had Randy White and Harvey Martin, Too Tall Jones, you go down the list. Now, that's, of course, 40-some-odd years ago. But the Cowboys are going to be a tough out, especially if they host, whether throughout the NFC playoffs or even if they have a couple games at home and have to go on the road for an NFC title game. Uh, now, of course, the jury's out whether or not Dak Prescott could be the guy that could take his game to another level in the postseason. We've seen it so far this year in the regular season, what he's done, and even that short sample size before he – broke his leg last year against the Giants. But that's the one thing, Jai, you said it before about the NFC. Unlike the AFC, it is so top-heavy in the NFC to where you have five teams that are at least six and two, and the, obviously the teams above them, which are four of them, that are seven and one. So you could pretty much throw, your, throw their name in a hat and pull out, whether it be the Rams, Green Bay, Arizona, 
I don't think Arizona, but obviously they're seven and one for a reason. Right. And then Dallas and either one of those teams could be representative. And that's not even including Tampa Bay as far as the representative for the NFC. Whereas in the AFC, real quick, all right, you have right now Tennessee six and two, Buffalo's five and two. You, you could throw in the Bengals, of course, throwing the Ravens. I know, I'm throwing in the Bengals from now. The Ravens, but again, you look at those teams and they can't even match at least right. this deep into the season to what the NFC has to offer. So, uh, but going back to the Cowboys, yeah, they're going to be tough. Uh, their defensive quarter coordinator's nightmare. And I guess you could say the same for the Rams. You could say the same for also the uh, Packers for that matter. Not so much Arizona, although they have weapons, but yeah, I think Dallas could be the most dangerous team going into the postseason, but there's still plenty of football to be played. Who knows who's going to be healthy come week 18 or come uh, the postseason. And uh, yeah, I, I think that they do definitely have a legitimate shot to go to the Super Bowl. 100%. And you can also make the argument that the winner, unless things change in the, you know, in the second half of the season, you, you can, at least in my estimation, if you, if you were to begin the playoffs tomorrow, the way you know you have like a a knock them out tournament where you have where you have the conference champion decided within like a, a day of action or whatever and you know like it's Madden or whatever you can make you can make the argument in my in my opinion that the winner of the NFC could end up being could end up winning the Super Bowl because yeah. uh, even though because like you said and like I said earlier even though the AFC is wide open and again you might have a team that's go, that could go ten and seven. Miss the playoffs and in the NFC, you know, you could have a team get the seventh seed that realistically and shouldn't with the with the added extra seed shouldn't and doesn't deserve to get in. But it still doesn't change the fact that the NFC has a lot more top heavy uh, competition. Uh, and it's yep. funny because Jason brought up Ed Tutal Jones, who played over 40 years ago. You, I mean, you guys can't see it unless you're looking at the uh, video feed. Jason's in his 50s. He's 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 not he's not 33. He's not 32. He's not even 42. He's Jason's in his 50s. So he's seen he's seen it. He's been around a little bit. Uh, he yes. doesn't look 50. He looks like he's in his uh, he's in his early so. mid 40s. But uh, you got appreciate it. that. But uh, he, yeah, but he's in his fifties, so he he saw Ed Tutal Jones play and can remember, uh, you know, all those uh, those glorious those glorious moments back during nineteen seventies NFL football. But I tell you this, you know, Zeke Elliott, who I who I killed and destroyed last year, and deservedly so. He was absolutely awful. He's had a hell of a season. He's top five in the league in rushing yards. He's got this season so far on 118 carries. He's rushed for 571 rushing yards, averaging about five yards a carry. He's got five touchdowns in the game, uh, or excuse me, five touchdowns in total uh, this season thus far. I did not like the fact that he, you know, he did not have a great game on Sunday in a game where your star quarterback is out and you are their second highest paid player on the team and their second best offensive player, arguably speaking, uh, on the football team, you know, 16 rushing attempts for 50 yards is not good enough when Cooper Rush is your quarterback. So I'd, he should have stepped up, whether it's the play calling with McCarthy, whatever it is, he should he should have given Dallas a little bit more on Sunday, but he's had a phenomenal season thus far, and he's one of the reasons why they're one of the best teams in the NFC is because he he flushed the toilet on, on that disgusting 2020 season, and he's came back and has played better than better than he has in quite some time. So give uh, Zeke Elliott a ton of credit. Uh, I'm only going to touch on the Rams because the fact they made that trade with Von Miller, which I get your opinion mm -hmm. on uh, right here. 
Uh, but my my only thing with the Rams is you traded for Von Miller. You've essentially get, given given or traded away, in essence, all of your draft picks for the next foreseeable future. No excuses for the Rams. I don't hear anything about about Matthew Stafford. And well, no excuse for anymore for Matthew Stafford. You know, Cooper Cup setting all sorts of uh, receiving records. Every receiving Ram receiving record known to man, he's you know he's coming in contest with it. I don't hear no more excuses for Stafford. No more excuses for McVay. I also want to hear no more excuses about Aaron Donald. While he gets double teamed, while he gets triple teamed, and blah blah blah, he's not. You know, he's better than T.J. Watt. Hey. You got a def- you got a defense, you got a multi-defensive player of the year award and Super Bowl MVP that your team just traded for on your team. Okay. And if you were and for being fair to Aaron Donald, Von Miller has I understand that Von Miller is a line is a linebacker slash edge rusher or anything else. But the one thing that Aaron Donald has that or excuse me, the one thing that Von Miller has that Aaron Donald does not, and that and that is and that is a a a a uh, a rap sheet of postseason games where he literally did nothing but take over and enforce as well on his opponent and take over games and single-handedly he I mean he, I mean Peyton Manning was a show of what he was his final season in 2015 didn't even play the whole year they had Brock Osweiler starting a couple of games but single-handedly won them a championship Von Miller has that Aaron Donald does not and all I hear about Aaron Donald is that he's the greatest thing since Deacon Jones no more excuses for him either because what what are, what are the, our offensive coordinators going to scheme to to only double and triple team Von, uh, uh, Aaron Donald and leave uh, and leave Von Miller uncovered? And if and, and I understand that Von Miller, you know, he's on the quote unquote wrong side of thirty, and he is no spring chicken. But who's but who's a more I'll put it to you this way: who's a more decorated defensive player uh, historically? Von Miller, Aaron Donald. With your life on the line, you'd be an idiot to take Aaron Donald historically over Von. I understand Aaron Donald didn't finish yet, and he's still technically quote unquote in his prime. But in the one Super Bowl, and Von Miller's only played one one Super Bowl either. The one Super Bowl I I saw Aaron Donald play, you know, where was the play where he strip sacked Tom Brady, a la Brandon Graham? In the in the Super Bowl that Brady played a year before, where is that play? Where is that signature moment in a in a football game where you find where you find yourself loose around the uh, you know in the pass rush along the offensive line and you find a way to get to Brady? You hit him and you knock the ball out of his hand. Where you stick your hands up and you tip the ball and one of your defensive teammates catches it for an interception. I did not see that once. And I understand it was a defensive slugfest and it wasn't and it wasn't like you know Brady dropped forty points on him. Uh, or excuse me, thirty plus points on him, like he did the Eagles. But where where was the play? I you you got to play for Aaron, you got to play for Von Miller the strip sack against Cam, the strip sack with Cam Newton that gets played yep. on a loop nine thousand times as the quote unquote beginning of the downfall of Cam Newton's career. You can find it with Aaron Donald, or excuse me, with Miller. You can't find it with Aaron Donald. I talked long enough. <laughs> no, it's quite all right. And I, I got a good one for you, Jai, that you could probably stick this in your cap, maybe for, uh, and obviously I got this from the great Walt Clyde Frazier, aging myself, who is the point guard of the 69-70 and 72-73 New York Knickerbockers. But he says it best. He says, you make your name in the regular season, but you make your fame in the postseason. And one of the things we haven't seen with Aaron Donald is that he's not been able to step up in a big spot in order for him to wreck the game the way Von Miller has in obviously the one Super Bowl year back in Super Bowl 50. 
And then also on top of that, I've always been critical of players like that. And granted, he deserves his props. We know he is a force defensively. But there have been so many guys, and may he rest in peace, not that I'm trying to pick on him, but Derek Thomas was another guy that was like that. He was an edge rusher that we hadn't seen at that time along the likes of Lawrence Taylor. Not to say that I'm comparing him to Lawrence Taylor, but he was just that edge rusher that always got to the quarterback, always seemed to get those sacks against the bad teams. And yeah, maybe in the regular season, he got those key sacks and key moments. But in the postseason, as I'm sure you probably, and you do your homework, you're a great sports fan, Jai. In those postseasons, Marty Schottenheimer, where was he against the Colts in the 95 AFC Championship game? Where was he in the division game in 97 against the Broncos? I can go through the whole list of where Derek Thomas was. And sadly, you have a situation with Aaron Donald where he, and granted, he has a very small sample size, uh, but as far as his postseason goes, but he did have the Super Bowl year where, like you said, where was he in the Super Bowl to make his presence felt in that game? Last year in the Seattle game, in the wild card, you didn't really see it there. Obviously, in the next round against Green Bay, nowhere to be found. Uh, J.J. Watts, another guy that you never see him in, the, in, the, uh, in comparison to the regular season and the postseason. But I digress. Going back to Von Miller, this trade to me was huge on two fronts. One, I understand they mortgage their future to get the Super Bowl in the brass ring now, and it is an absolute must, and all the pressure is going to be on the Rams to not only make it to the Super Bowl, but win it, which will be in their backyard this year, considering it's going to be hosted at SoFi. But the other thing is, but the other thing is, and the more critical thing, is that by bringing in Von Miller, obviously he brings that experience, obviously he has the hardware, and he has the brass ring. So he could go in that locker room, whether it's toward the end of this regular season, let's say if they're neck and neck in the division for the, you know, with the Cardinals, or let's say if when they play Green Bay down the road, or when they have a big contest against whomever it is in the postseason, Von Miller could be that guy that says, hey, I may not have the same type of motor that I had five, six years ago when I was in the Super Bowl, but I know what it takes to win, and I know not only what it takes physically, mentally, but also spiritually. And they can rally around that, knowing that he has all the, like I said, the hardware on his mantle and has shown and proven big spots that he's able to do that. So to me, that's another reason why I thought they brought him in, not only because he could alleviate some of that pressure from Aaron Donald and, of course, get pressure on the quarterback himself, but also to be that presence in the locker room to say, hey, guys, this is what it's going to take for us to get to the next level, to not only get to a Super Bowl, but win it, jump on my back, and let's go. And to me, the Rams, they have to win this year. We knew before the start of the year by bringing in Stafford they had to win, but now even more so with this trade, knowing that they have pretty much zero draft picks between now and like 2026. So they have to do or die because if you're a Ram fan, uh, it's all or nothing at this point. 100%. And again, if you don't, and I tweeted this out, if you don't win at least, I'm saying three, because with all the talent they have on their football team, there's no reason why why they can't win at least. If they don't win three Super Bowls in the next five years, the Rams will be one of the worst teams in football in a heartbeat with little to no cap space and no draft picks. So you you best believe you better win right here, right to now, or else, or else you can forget it. You will be in the basement of the NFC of the NFC West so bad. You, you, I mean, you will be, you will be so bad for so long 
you, you double take and think that you become the Detroit Lions because they are selling all of their future. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but it comes with a caveat and you better win. And I don't hear, you know, they get into the playoffs and, you know, let's say for the second conversation, as we discussed earlier, the Saints won about 12 games and it, and the stars align where they got to play the Saints in the first round. Don't don't get beat by Trevor Simeon or 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 Taysom Hill in the first round. Uh, don't, 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 don't do that. You, you play you play Brady again, you beat the hell out of him. You play Rodgers, even if it's in Green Bay and it's 20 degrees outside. I don't care about the fact that you're a West Coast team. Find a way to beat them. And it's no more excuses. And like you said, it was an excellent point. You know, Von Miller prov- uh, provides that that uh, that that leadership role and that experience role. You know, a lot of the veterans, a lot of the players that have been around the block a little bit on that team. They, you know, and and the fact they're that they're good and, and they're talented and everything else, they haven't won anything. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, one of my all-time favorite Bengals of all time, left tackle for the Bengals. Yes, he's played in a Super Bowl. Yes, he's played an NFC Championship game, but he hadn't, he hadn't won anything. Uh, prior to getting to the Rams, all he did was lose playoff games uh, due to the genius of Marvin Lewis. You go ahead and you look at Matthew Stafford. Outside of losing a handful of playoff games, he did nothing but lose in Detroit. Uh, Sean McVay, Sean, even the, even the coach hasn't won anything. I understand been to a Super Bowl, but he hasn't won anything. He hasn't, you know, put his stamp of his own little uh, legacy on on the NFL. He he hasn't won either. Jalen Ramsey lost the was on the Jaguar team in 2017 that lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Uh, you know, Cooper Cooper Cups young hasn't experienced any hasn't experienced anything either. Aaron Donalds, we wax poetic about. You know, he hasn't he hasn't done anything uh, a great deal a great deal either in his young career. So he provides that leadership role. Is like, hey guys, this is this is what this is what it, I was on a championship team not too long ago. This is what it takes to win. This is what you got to do in order as not only as from a defensive perspective, but also as a, from a, a from a as a team, as a whole solid 53 man roster team. This is what it takes to win. This is what it takes to win a championship. This is the and, and albeit the fact that McVay is a good coach. Stafford's had a hell of a season. You know, outside of a couple of players that are still remaining from that 2018 Super Bowl season. Going to Super Bowl and winning it, it's entirely two different things. Von Miller's been there twice and knows what it takes to win one. You know, again, Jalen Ramsey, for all, you know, the fact that he's one of the best corners in the league, closest to Super Bowl he's he's been, he's you know, he's had in his career was 27, it was 2017 uh, against the Patriots and he was with the Jaguars. And, and, and that's what, uh, five years ago. So yeah. a hell of a point on your part of bringing up the fact that Von Miller brings up that leadership, uh, that leadership yeah. uh, role. Um, uh, just the, uh, just, and w- with our two teams, and then we'll get to uh, a couple of other things quickly here. Um, with I'll do your Steelers first. All right. I, you know that I am a <laughs> harsh, oh, harsh critic <laughs> on the Pittsburgh Steelers. I like telling a person. I like telling personally. I think uh-huh. that his days are numbered as the as the head coach for that football team. Ben Roethlisberger's old. He's shot. He doesn't have the arm and the elusiveness that he did, which made him great back in his heyday. They passed the ball entirely way too much. Their offensive line has regressed, and they and they in my in my estimation, they have one of the bottom tier worst receiving core in the National Football League. On all on top of the fact. 
that they had on top of the fact, and I make you happy that they still have a good that they still have a good defense. Something that it's ironic. All those years the Steelers spent in, in in title chasing when they had one of the best offenses in football when Roethlisberger, you know, was at the very uh, last little last three holes, so to speak, of his prime back as back as you know soon as five years ago, and then you had Le'Veon Bell, the best back in football, and Antonio Brown, and they, and they they couldn't you couldn't find a defense. For the Pittsburgh Steelers back and back five years ago, now all of a sudden their their offense is one of the worst in the sport, and they got and they got a t- and they got one of the best defenses in all of football, and a player that they desperately needed, you know, back in 2017, and that's the T.J. Watt, who, in my estimation, is the best defensive player in all of football. You know, they started out one and three. They've gotten themselves uh, they've gotten themselves together. They're still hanging on, hanging on, hanging on, keeping on by a thread. Um, a nice, gutty, you know, a good old-fashioned AFC North football, as Tomlin said after the game. I absolutely despise the decision for the fake field goal. If you're going to go for uh. it, Mike, go, have have the cojones to go for it, and don't put your kicker in harm's way, please. Because you yeah, because if the if the Browns who essentially let who who haven't had much of an offense since the uh, Charger game three weeks ago, uh, if if the Browns have any semblance of an offense, and if they were healthy. The Steelers, the Steelers would have lost that game simply because of the fact that they had to compensate because because of the fact that they had no place kicker. But you know the Steelers have somehow, some way, hang find their way hanging on by a thread. I stood on. They are not a division, in my opinion, they are not a division favorite by any estimate of the imagination. But they could very well make the playoffs as a sixth or a seventh seed in the AFC. Give me your thoughts on the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we'll get to the Browns after the fact. Oh, this is gonna be fun, uh, and. For starters, you know, I'm objective. I'm not one of those that always has the black and gold pom-poms. On my podcast, I destroy the Steelers when need be. I destroy all my teams. And not just for sake of doing it, but, hey, if you're going to have a platform like this and you're a fan of the team, you cannot just either tiptoe around it or just say, oh, well, it was just a bad week. On to the next week. No, 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 no. You have to Mm -hmm. break it down and dissect it. So now to your points, you think Tomlin's going to be gone? I don't see it. We know that in the last, what, 52 years, there's only been three head coaches that have patrolled the sidelines for the Steelers, Chuck Noll, Bill Cower, and now Tomlin. And I'd be shocked. I know he refuted those rumors last week that I don't know why Carson Palmer and a few other people were putting out Tomlin's name as far as a feeler for USC. So he shot that down. So that makes me think. And we know Tomlin's a stand-up type of guy. He's not a guy that's going to beat around the bush or not try to address it. He's going to... Bring it up, and that's it. And you saw, I'm sure, the press conference afterwards. You say, hey, you're not asking Andy Reid those questions. You're not asking Sean Payton if he's going to take a college job. So, to me, he's a man of conviction, so I don't think he's going anywhere. As far as the quarterback is concerned, yeah, this is it for him. Uh, I said this even last year after the loss to the Browns in the wild card game. I said, you want to bring him back for one more year? Fine. To me, Roethlisberger, he is the quintessential pitcher that's later in his career that doesn't have the 98 99 mile an hour fastball and now has to go by guts and guile he's a guy that is going to have to pick his spots when he's going to either a get rid of the ball and we know the offense between the offensive coordinator Matt Canada who has really been nothing of an improvement that I saw last year from Randy Fickner to me it's the same offense and I get it the offensive line no exactly for Roethlisberger without question Roethlisberger's calling the shots no, 
1,000%. But the thing with Roethlisberger is that as long as he's upright, and I get it that the offensive line is not good, he's a guy that could keep you in the games. But at the same time, he could also be that gunslinger. He could be that guy that could make that errant pass at the worst time. He thinks he's in 2011, and, and, his, and it's a reality check when he makes when he throws a bonehead ass line interception or he holds on to the ball too long allows him to get sacked. No, exactly. No, and and listen, and this is what it is for Roethlisberger at this stage of his career. And I get it that a lot of the Steelers fans, including myself, of course, they're always going to have a place in the heart for this guy. But I even said it. I don't care if he was the MVP this year. He has to go. But with that being said, I still think that the Steelers, even with their offense, they still have some weapons. They still have pieces there, even though I know you mentioned that the receiving core is toward the bottom. But you know, they still have playmakers. Deontay Johnson has been very steady this year. He doesn't have a case of the drops like he did last year. Uh, Claypool is a guy that obviously has talent. I wish he could shut up a little bit. I know he plays with a right. lot of passion, but it's, it's a little bit too over the top for me. But I get it. You know, that's the NFL wide receiver in 2021. And, you know, Najee Harris, uh, he's had his moments. He just had the one big game where he rushed for 112 yards a few weeks ago. But uh, he's a guy that as long as he moves the chains, uh, I'm not expecting major things out of him considering the way the offensive line is. But as long as their defense can keep him in games, and we saw that on Sunday, and not to say that the Browns are a juggernaut by any stretch, but as long as they can – and to me, the Steelers defense, it's a good defense. I know people want to say that they're one of the best in the league, that they have a, a top-five defense. I've never been a subscriber to, you know, to that theory. Yes, we know that they have playmakers there with T.J. Watt, Cameron Hayward, Minka Fitzpatrick, et cetera. But to me, a great defense is a defense that's going to make stops when it absolutely has to. And over the last year and a half, they haven't been able to do so. And minus the playoff game, because anybody that has a 28-0 lead at the end of the first quarter, they're going to win that game regardless. And, and that was more on the offense than it was on the defense. They could – I'm not going to say that they're going to battle for the division. Although, technically, they are a game behind. Uh, really, right now, when you think about it, they're a uh, half game behind the Bengals because with the Steelers already Great having a tiebreaker. The, the Bengals, right, exactly. And they haven't and played the, the Ravens yet. Right, and they haven't played the Ravens yet. Is there an outside shot? There is, but I can't see that happening. I could see them being more of a 6-7 seed. And if their defense peaks at the right time, they could be dangerous in the playoffs. I'm not saying they're going to an AFC championship game. I'm not saying they're even going to the Super right. Bowl. Yeah, no, unless I got to keep it real. But, hey, who knows? If they're a six seed, let's say I'm just throwing this off the top of my head. If they happen to go to, let's say if they go to Tennessee, or let's say even if they play Baltimore in the first round. Now they got to go to Baltimore. It's not going to be easy. But would you be surprised if Pittsburgh would have beat Baltimore in a 3-6 matchup in that uh, first playoff game? You can't say you'd be no. surprised. Right. So they beat they beat they beat, ten, they beat Tennessee and Derrick Henry, although he's back as a shell of what he is, and they beat him, wouldn't shock me. Or even now, I would now it wouldn't be surprising, but it would surprise me if somehow Buffalo gets the three seed and they and they walk into Buffalo again and end up beating beating the Bills for the second time in the same season. That would that wouldn't be surprising because they'd beat them already. But it would surprise the hell out of me. But anyway, no, of course, hundred hundred percent. Right. So that's what I mean about the Steelers. They're not going to go far this year. 
who knows if they end up I, I would think they're going to make the playoffs because like we talked about the AFC is so wide open and anything can happen in any given week so I would think that they're going to sneak in I'd be shocked that they won a division I'll say that now even with they still have four more division games than two with Baltimore but uh yeah I, I could see this being a situation where hey they may surprise some people come January but if they make it to an AFC championship game I'd be shocked but Again, if they, they, the defense is going to have to carry them to that point, and can they do it? I think they can. It, it all depends on who they play. That's uh, the bottom line. 100%. And it's, it's funny, you know, during that Bengals-Steelers game back in September, there was moments of that game, it, like, I, I found enjoyment out of it because I'm a Bengals fan, and I have hated Steelers since the day I was born. But from an objective standpoint, and putting myself in a Steelers fan's shoes, there was a moment in that game where it was low-key kind of sad and depressing watching Roethlisberger hold on to the ball and do like this with the football. Because I'm like, if that's been Roethlisberger 10 years ago, he's either taking off, running with the football, scrambling outside the pocket, but he's letting that sucker fly 30, 60 yards downfield. But he knows in the back of his mind that he just doesn't have it anymore. And, uh, on it. Objectively speaking, it's, it's, it's a sad sight. Seeing a guy that you it know is. on the outside looking in is past his prime and is a – and a well like Ben Roethlisberger is a scrub, he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. But seeing a guy that went from top-tier Hall of Fame best quarterback in the NFL to one of the worst QBs in the sport right now in 2020, it's, it's a sad sight to see. And it's just, you know, like you said, uh, Thomas, Thomas should have been Thomas should have been gone after the Thomas should have been gone after the 17th season, the 18th season, 19th season to get some pass because he did a hell of a job. Team was injured to hell and back, got him to eight and eight. We should have been gone after the Jaguar loss in 2017. Should have been oh. gone after the collapse in 2018, and he should have been and he should have been out of there come Monday morning after the Brown loss back in January. But like you said, the Steelers don't fire, don't. Uh, don't uh, fire coaches. They either retire or their contract conveniently expires. Um, and uh, I think I think I think the Steelers have only had three head coaches. Have were you? Have they been around? Have you been alive as long as the Steelers have had Noel Cower and uh, Tomlin? Is, is that accurate? Right on the dot. I was born the year that Noel was given the job in Pittsburgh, 1969. And to think, as long as I've been alive, they've had only three they've only head had coaches. Three. That's insane. And then I think, what, what are I forgot what the stat was. It's been quite some time. But they have it right. broken down when Noel was the coach, Cowher was the coach, and even when Tomlin was the coach, how many coaching changes throughout the league that has taken mm -hmm. place. And then they had a cumulative with all three coaches, how many coaching changes that have, taken throughout the course of the league and it's just staggering when you think about it i mean it, it's right. it's really unheard of when you think about it it's funny now i now ironically enough with my football team we've had three head coaches in my lifetime too and one and one and the first That's one right. is the Steeler guy dick lebeau yep. marvin lewis and now zach taylor which is kind hey, of right, right. now now I've, I've been on this <laughs> earth a lot obviously a lot shorter than you have but it's also ironic that my that my team has only had three coaches uh, in my in the same lifespan as me as well, uh, but the, you know the Steelers, you know, I I don't think they're going anywhere. I think me personally they're going to they're they're lucky if they finish nine and eight, ten and seven, um because the defense can only do but so much when you can't score. 
and Roethlisberger's a shell of what he is, and and the puppet with his with the offensive coordinators letting Big Ben run the offense, and and I go and again going back to the Bengals Steeler game, I'm seeing I saw Najee Harris be too much of a wide receiver instead of a running back, way 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 right. way way too much, way Not too really. much. They use a lot of way too much in a passing game instead of him actually running the football. You know, it's funny and that and that game you brought up, we rushed for a buck twelve. It's funny. Steelers actually Steelers won that game. You see what happens? You actually open up and diversify the playbook, and you run the football a little bit. Good things happen. Um, exactly. And of course, and then of course, with my Cincinnati Bengals. Yes. I mean, yeah that that was that was such a. I'm I'm, I'm smiling to keep myself from losing my mind. I understand it's only one game, but you cannot, under any circumstances, have the season that you've had. You know, beat the Steelers on the road. Fight tooth and nail and take the Packers, a Super Bowl contending team, into overtime in your own building. Uh, and, then, and then go to Baltimore, a place that you have not won since the you, – uh, you, they have not won a game in Baltimore prior to two weeks ago going on since the week – since week 17 of the 2017 season, fourth, missed, uh, fourth and 12. Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton, Dalton. would have yep. knocked the Ravens out of the playoffs. They, prior to that Sunday, they had not won a game in Baltimore since. They had not won a game against the Ravens, period, since week two of the 2018 season when A.J. Green somehow somehow caught three touchdown passes in the first half alone. And, and you go into that building. I had I did not expect them to win that football game. Hell, I didn't even expect them to be competitive. And the game wasn't competitive because they because they took them to the cleaners and made them 41 to 17. And then you turn around coming off of that game. You hear your praises. Bengals are the Bengals right now hold the best seat in the AFC, first place in the AFC North. Who saw the Bengals being five and Bengals being five and two? Bengals held the season. Zach Taylor, coach of the year. You know, Joe Burrow, possible MVP candidate. What did the, now they they're going to deny it? Now maybe they are telling the truth. Whatever it is, they said it. They you know that they didn't necessarily sleepwalk or or you know or get full of themselves reading their own press clippings and listening to to sports talk radio and watching sports television, but. I, but I, I see I see the contrary. Now it wasn't like they got blown out you know, against the Jets. They only lost they only lost by about what about like a field goal. But still going up against the hapless one win New York Jets starting what starting what what is his name? Uh Mike, Mike Wilson. White. What is his name? Mike, Mike White. White. I mean, <laughs> what are we doing, guys? I mean, the defense, I understand that the defense, now the defense in some form or fashion did a good job because they forced three turnovers in a game. But here's the infuriating thing, you know, and this is why I think the offense needs to take a little bit more hit than what it's been, what it's been getting and instead of blaming the defense. Should the defense, which is quote-unquote top 10 in all of football, getting fooled by essentially, you know, knockoff, knockoff uh, trick plays coming out of the Kansas City Chiefs playbook and getting beat by the Philly special for Christ's sakes and everything else? No. Should they give up 30-plus points to the Apple's Jets who – you know, who only managed to score about maybe 10, 7 points against the Patriots the week before? No. But to be fair, they did force three turnovers in the game. And and the Bengals won, and the Bengals only turned over the football. Now, it was it came in an inap, inopportune time, but the Bengals only turned over the football once. Just turned over the football three times. They won the turnover battle and still lost the game. That and I understand that again that they gave up over 30 points, but that falls on the offense. Offense got to find a way to put the ball in the end zone. You know, if Jesse Beatrice is five yards away from getting a pick six in the first quarter, 
you got to find a way to put the ball in the end zone. I'm sorry. I, Joe Burrow, I love you. Uh, Mixon, I love you. Chase, uh, Chase, Boyd, I love this team. Love this team. One of the most likable, one of the most Bengal teams that I sincerely say that I've loved since the 2015 team when they started 8 0. Love these guys. But there were, there were some offensive drives in the game where they could not put the ball in the end zone or walked away with three when they should have when they shouldn't have went out there and dropped and dropped seven points on the Jets. That falls on the, that in my opinion, that falls on the offense. And they did and and you know, and it's funny, I tweeted out after the game. It's funny that or maybe I did or didn't or I said this out loud watching it. It's funny. The Bengals dropped 30 plus points for what? I think the, their third game in a row. And, and it still was considered to be an off day for the offense, which it was because because it should have dropped over 40 when the Jets had turned over the football left and right. You know, Mike what Mike White had that had that streak where he lit, where he did not have it. Now I count in the stat sheet uh, interception counts in the stat sheet as an incomplete pass, but he had a stretch where like his first eighteen or twenty some odd passes were were technically completions because he was either complete them to guys in the black Jets jersey or he was throwing interceptions. So it's just a bad, bad, bad day at the office. The offense, the offense should have dropped forty when again. You get three turnovers, and especially the first one where Jesse Bates was five yards away from taking it to the house. You got to find a way to put the ball in the end zone. I, that falls on the offense, and it also falls on the defense. Their open field tackling was absolutely horrendous. Uh, you know, and, and they they let the they let the Jets stay alive and keep drives alive way too much in the game. The receivers were wi- were wide, wide, wide open on way too many of circumstances in the game, getting fooled by these trick gadget plays left and right. I mean, I, I even tweeted, I thought we don't play the Chiefs till January the second. Well, where the hell are all these trick <laughs> plays coming from, and why are they working on us when the Jets have only at the time of the game only have one win? So it was just a very uh, it was a, and it also gives the impression, you know, as from a Bengals fan that's seen his team nothing but crap the bed and lose and disappoint and collapse. Well, you know, it's 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 same old Bungles. The Bungles are back. So how are you going to convince me and your long-suffering franchise that things have fully turned, full, you know, things have finally come around full circle with Zach Taylor, who prior to this little hot streak as he's been on as of late, you know, was a was a pathetic NFL head coach. How are you going to convince me this is any different? Where, you know, you get one nice little impressive win on the road that, that everybody starts, ah, everybody starts paying attention to you because the Chiefs are in the toilet and the Bills are at a bye week. And all of a sudden, and then the next week, and then the next week, you go out on the road and you lay an egg against the Jets. I mean, that winning teams don't do that. Winning teams got to beat the teams they're supposed to beat. Winning teams are supposed to beat the teams they're supposed to beat a la destroying the Lions like they did. Go on the road in, in, a, in, a, in a harsh environment in a game that nobody expects them to win, upset the Ravens, and then turn around the next week and take care of the, uh, the low-hanging fruit that is, that is the New York Jets on the road. So now watch, now watch them go out against Cleveland this weekend at home and beat the brakes off of Cleveland and uh, and break the uh, uh, and beat the brakes off of Cleveland forty to forty to seven. But it's a, a horrendous loss. I you 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 live in the city of New York. You, you probably know a couple Jet fans. What what is your thoughts on that game? Because that game, I tell you, I was so pissed off on Sunday afternoon. I I. I 
I, I, I literally had, and I rarely do this, and I don't even do this during playoff, you know, when if the Bengals have a playoff, I don't even do it when they lost playoff games. I was so bothered by that loss. I said, I, I, I got to take about an hour or two break from watching football because that game bothered me so much. You, you can't lose that game. Good teams win those kind of games. Anyway. Jai, you are cut from the same cloth, my friend, because, yes, many years ago when I watched, especially football, football does it to me more than the other sports. I get baseball or whatever, but, well, here's the thing I'll say about not only just the game, but the Bengals itself. Now, we understand that the NFL, it's not a Major League Baseball schedule or even an NBA schedule where a team from the East Coast goes out West to play the Lakers, Clippers, Phoenix, Utah, et cetera. And this isn't by any means excusing the Bengals, but obviously they were playing their third straight road game. They came off of their biggest win in years in the regular season, obviously the week before in Baltimore. And granted that they had a 31-20 lead in the fourth quarter, thinking that, all right, they're going to sort the game away. They're going to stop the Jets here, whatever. But Mike White, I don't know. To me, that's inexplicable. For a guy to throw... 37 for 45. Yes, he did throw a couple of interceptions, but three touchdowns. And here's the, the big stat that just blows me away. He threw for over 400 yards. Do you know the last time a Jet quarterback threw for over 400 yards? Vinny Testaverde in the year 2000. How is this possible? So, I mean, that just even adds more. Uh, hey, listen, you're a young guy, so I'm sure the, the gray hairs are starting to form on the inside, ready to push out just hearing that stat. But it's one of those things where, even with all that said, 31 to 20, I know you say you want to put it on the offense. And right, they were, they did not capitalize, especially even after the touchdown at 31 26, and where they failed a two point conversion, you figured that would have been the time to try to run the ball, eat up some clock. Right. That first play call, it was inexplicable. What was Burrow doing? And I understand that the play was going to go left, but he threw the defensive player, Carl Lawson. Uh, was it called? No, Shaq Lawson. Carl Lawson was your former guy who's out for the year. Shaq Lawson came up, made right. the play, and I'm sure at that point you're probably thinking, what is Zach Taylor and company doing? Let's try to run the ball. Let's kind of keep that defense honest. You, and you his play calling has been very puzzling. Even even during this little hot streak that they've been on, his play calling was, was you know was very puzzling. Why he you know, and I hate to go back and I hate to cut you off, but you know they no, were right. there moments even during the Packer game. Where where Zach Taylor, you know, is is banking on a rookie to make a 56, 55, 53, 50, 50 something yard field goal in a game that nobody was making any kicks. It's fourth <laughs> and short, and he's decided to you know to to, to make Evan McPherson miss the arrow, try to kick the field goal instead of leaving his offense on the field, going for it and putting the ball in the end zone. But I'll let you resume. Yeah, no, and but his like, play calling's been spotty. Right, like, I, and I understand he's probably trying to figure that the Jets were probably thinking they were going to run right there, that it uh, obviously was first down. But that's not the time to be cute. That's not the time to try to – and not that it was a trick play by any stretch, but considering you're a team that has already put up 31 points and now the clock is your friend, that you would at least try to run the ball if you get stuff there. All right, if it's second and nine, second and 10, even second and 11, second 12, then you try to do something short, try to make it close to – whatever, like a third and six, third and five, whatever. And I didn't understand that. And then, of course, the Jets punch it in. We saw what happened afterwards. They get the two-point conversion. And then, you know, they end up winning the game. And to me, this is hopefully would be a big learning lesson for the coaching staff. 
for the quarterback and obviously for the whole team to know that obviously it's a long season. And like you said, I, they did not read the press clippings. I'm sure it probably felt good to get that win in Baltimore and pretty much embarrass the Ravens the way they did. And for them to, I could see if they went to the MetLife and they lost, you know, 31, 13, not that that would be the score against the jet team, but you know, Hey, it wasn't their week. You figure that how the hell did they lose to the jets? Period is beyond me, but for them to have an 11-point lead in the fourth quarter and for them to squander it and not be able to play smart while they were ahead, you would only hope that this would be a learning lesson for this team moving forward to know that, hey, we can't be cute as to throw Mike Tomlin's name out there. Forget about style points. Just try to get the win, get home with the victory, and that's it because one thing in the NFL, you do not throw back wins no matter how you get them. So – and then it's going to be interesting, too, real quick, Jai. This game comes Sunday between the Bengals and Browns. It's fascinating on so many levels because, A, how did the Bengals bounce back from what took place last week? It's their first home game since this uh, whole streak started in Detroit. I understand they lost the other day at, uh, at MetLife. But now the Browns are going to be desperate. The Browns, I'm sure they're hearing it all week, considering that Baker Mayfield is, hasn't been healthy Otto Beckham Jr., which I'm surprised they didn't try to trade him. I get the Browns are trying to do the right thing by saying, oh, we don't want to trade him. He's not going anywhere, so on and so forth. And to me, it's not about Beckham. It's about the team. They have not it's, put him. They're yeah, not it, functional. Exactly. They, they're stop. I hate to divert from the Bengals to the Browns, but it's a good thing you brought that up because I would have forgotten about it. You know, they don't it's, – it's no coincidence why the Browns' offense was flying at Odell's detriment of when he tore his, when he tore his Achilles last November. Their their offense and their style of play and the way Mayfield plays and and the and the and the Stefanski system it doesn't mesh with Odell. And I understand. I heard LeBron will free free OBJ yeah. and hearing Odell's spot. <laughs> I love LeBron, but LeBron, worry about your Lakers. Wait, plays. Wait, pay attention. Get a clue here. I mean, Odell Beckham Jr., A, he's injury prone. He's, he's, he's never healthy. Never. He's always injured. That's the first thing. And he's entirely, entirely overrated. You know, and you can, in, in, with a healthy Jarvis Landry, who would you rather have? A healthy Jarvis Landry or an Odell Beckham Jr.? Who, who's the better player? You take Jarvis Landry. And it's just, he, he's, 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 and I hate to say it because it sounds like, well, you're hating. No, I'm not. I'm being honest and I'm being fair. If Odell, let me ask you, and you ask yourself this question, the Odell Beckham Jr. lovers out there, if he doesn't have that meaningless one-handed catch in a game that the Giants lost, by the way, in a season in which they lost double-digit games, he doesn't have that one-handed catch against the Cowboys on a Sunday night football game in the middle of December. Is Odell Beckham Jr., like, is his life, is his career, is the cachet that comes with his name, does he have that if he doesn't make that catch? Being, being, uh, and he, no, and the answer is not. not. And he and he no. just and it's a stupid move by Cleveland not trying to trade him because because they should have should have tried to get something for him because he does not mesh with that offensive system. He just it just doesn't. There's no reason why they came within an eyelash of making the AFC championship game last season back in January. And now that he's back and he's healthy, outside outside of a couple games here and there, the offense has 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 regressed. And yeah. and he's healthy out there on the field. He's overrated, and he and he's overrated historically. Always has been, always will be. He's injury prone, and he doesn't fit the system. But it's an excellent point because that Bengals because that Bengals uh, Browns game means a lot. 
Um, and Taylor yeah. said that, and Taylor said on Monday, you know, in the in the presser uh, back in Cincinnati, that their defense missed about 15 tackles. And I got another, and I got a couple of stat. They gave up 280 yards after the catch. Eight that's and they gave up just on the catch alone about seven yards per Jets reception. They missed nine tackles. Uh, the, that oh. and this is from a, a media guy, so maybe tell him discount or whatever. Nine missed tackles after the catch. Gave up five catches on seven contested targets. This is pro, this is per uh, Pro Football Focus, and uh, they have linebackers in primary coverage on twenty six targets. Twenty three of them were completed. Is it's just it was absolutely disgraceful. And of course, with Mike White, you brought up that stat with Testaverde in two thousand. He joins Cam Newton as the only quarterback since nineteen fifty. Fifty now to throw for 400 yards in a first career NFL start. And he, and since 1950, he's the first quarterback to throw 400 yards and three touchdown passes in his first career start. I mean, Absolutely. it was just apt. It was, it was, it was disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. But anyway, you may continue. Uh, and then just to wrap up, to go back to the Bengals. And, and this is a, uh, to me, it's a fascinating game from this regard, because based on everything that we talked about, as far as them losing this tough game, on Sunday, and now they're going to be in their building for the first time in a while against a division opponent that's coming in wounded, that a lot of people thought that they were going to make a lot of noise in the AFC this year. And if the Browns lose this game, they're already going to have five losses. And that was right where they'll be four and five. So although it's not the exact halfway point, well, once you get to that ninth game, you're already past the halfway point. So they're going to play desperate. The Bengals, you would think that they're going to come out firing uh, again, this is not a marquee game. Nobody's going to look at this as the highlight game Sunday, but for a guy like myself, who of course loves football and two teams that are in the division with two teams that are going in different directions, uh, it's a collision course to see. And they've played some crazy games over the years, as you well know. Uh, it, I think it, it's going to be fascinating to see. And I listen, I hope the Bengals pull it off. I can't stand the Browns. And it's weird. Let me just throw this in the mix real quick. I have two. Right friends of mine that are diehard Bengal fans. One's actually from Cincinnati. The other actually lives here that I've known for 25 plus years. I've never really hated the Bengals. And it's not because the Steelers always beat them, but I've always hated the Browns and the Ravens ranked number two behind the Yankees as my all-time hated teams. So those guys, aliens could come from outer space to play against the Ravens or especially the Ravens for a battle of the United States. And I'd have to think long and hard to say, hmm, who would I root for? Aliens here, yeah. I mean, that's just that's <laughs> right. how much I hate them. I, that, that's just it goes to show. But we'll see what happens. I, I really do hope the Bengals uh, could take this game as a big learning lesson, as a stepping stone to know that hey, we got to finish the job, sixty minutes, etc. And their opponent this week is going to be tough because, like I said, they're going to be coming in desperate. At least for me, a pessimistic Bengals fan, it sh it shoots our confidence. It shoots the pessimistic Bengals fans like yours. I, my confidence in this team went down tenfold after this loss. People around me, my friends, text me out: the Bengals, Jai, are, are going to make the playoffs. You'll be fine. I'm not too sure about that because if you right. lived in my shoes, the last <laughs> you know fifteen some odd years, I've been a fan of this team. Breaking, breaking, breaking their fans' heart. They, it's almost become a talent to them for crying out right. loud. You know, they're they're not the Lions where they're just bad consistently. Oh. They have right. the years, they have their moments where they're competitive when they're good in regular season, and then and then eventually you're just waiting. You, you're waiting for the car crash. But any, but anyway, and just to wrap Absolutely. this up, because you've done a hell of a done a hell of a oh, job. Hey, just man. a couple more things to get to. Sure. Um, my pleasure. 
Yeah, last NFL thing, and I, you're a hockey guy. I want to get your opinion on this whole Black Blackhawks uh, sexual assault scandal and get All to right. the World Series and anything. Um, yeah, no but you know, Dan Snyder and John Gruden. Last uh. week, I I went berserk. I don't know if you heard that rant or not. Uh, why Dan Snyder is still owner of the team? They could change. They could change the team name to the Washington Martin Luther Kings. The, and this is and this yeah. is why, in my honest opinion, the name change meant little to nothing of dropping the Redskins name because because it's still the same culture because the same guy is still the, is still the boss of the thing. So what exactly are you changing other than a other than a other than a simple label which you only did to play to placate the sponsors and to get the and to get the uh, and to get the activists and the uh, and the uh, political people off your back. Because what? Because in what honesty, what really has changed? What the you know? And and John Gruden deserved to go. We'll tie him into this too. Deserve to go. Have no sympathy for him. You're a grown man. You know what you type. He typed this and actually wrote this. You know, which is which is thought with soul. And then right now, I get that. And he deserved to go. I'm not making any excuses for Gruden. And I think in the long run, it couldn't end up benefiting the Raiders from a football standpoint. But and 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 I understand when you make decisions like that, you can't sit up here and complain what's fair. But it's not, it's not right. It's not, and it's sense. I don't know if about sending us a wrong message, but it's it's screwed up for lack of a better word. That Gruden, that Gruden gets the axe and is not going, and, and his football life, his football career is finished. Rightfully so. Not crying a river over that, but he's gone. He gets he gets thrown to the wolves. Yet Dan Snyder, who has more power within the NFL than John Gruden does, obviously, who has more power, worth more money, makes more money, and is a and is considered and is considered and is called boss to a hell of a lot more people than John Gruden is. He survives. Yet Gruden is the one that gets thrown out to the wolves. I I, I said it at the time, and I'll say it again. That's not right. Again, Gruden deserves what he gets. He doesn't coach again. It's his fault. Made his bed. He's got to lay in it. it. But it ain't right that he get that he gets thrown to the wolves randomly because somebody had a vendetta against John Gruden and or the uh, Vegas Raiders organization. Yet Dan Snyder is an owner of the football team with the NFL that's supposed to be held to a higher standard than than your own ragamuffin head coach. Yet he survives and Gruden gets thrown to the wolves. That's not right. Well, what was your thoughts on that whole controversy? All right. Well, like you said, Gruden, there isn't much more I could add to that. 1,000% he had to go. You're not going to see him ever again in an NFL sideline or probably even in an NFL building. Uh, I don't think he'd even be an announcer unless somebody was desperate to bring him back. But you know, there's going to be a firestorm for people uh, if any network were to hire him as a color commentator. But the Daniel Snyder thing is fascinating from this regard. I understand the the NFL, as I like to call them, and no pun intended because that's your last name, I call the NFL the shield. The shield, obviously, <laughs> there there's, nothing, there's nothing that can penetrate that shield. It doesn't matter how many players get arrested this offseason. It doesn't matter how many players with their behavior, whatever it is, and now you have the situation, which I know that's maybe a subject for another day, but today with Henry Ruggs and what happened there, speaking of the Raiders, where there's this terrible, uh, tragic accident that took place for where now – who knows if he's probably not going to see uh, an NFL football field. Definitely probably not for the rest of this year. And who knows? And thankfully, he's okay. But obviously, the other driver is has perished. But that's the NFL. They're bulletproof. So Henry Ruggs could have had a 
an alcohol limit of whatever it is, five times over the limit, but it's the NFL. People are still going to watch. People are still going to buy apparel. People are still going to gamble. People are still all of that. But here's the thing. The NFL is big, bad, and rightfully so, but they should not get a pass. If you recall in 2014, the Los Angeles Clippers had an owner in Donald Sterling, and with all the racist things that he said – as far as, and I'm paraphrasing here because it's been seven years, but talking about how he's pretty much the master and those are my, he, he didn't use the S word, S-L-A-V-E-S, but right, for all so intents and purposes, he was pretty much, yeah, for all intents and purposes, he was referring, pretty much saying that. Referring yeah, to his black players. Exactly. And what happened? Adam Silver, and that was Adam Silver's first time as commissioner because Donald, uh, David Stern had left at that time. So, I'm sure whether the groundswell to get this guy out of here because of the proof with Sterling's girlfriend, all those recordings, and, and not to get too deep in that, but what happened? Sterling was out. He was gone. They were able to take over the NBA to look over the league until they found the buyer, and then Steve Ballmer came in, and the rest is history. And I get it. Roger Goodell, if you saw how much money he made in the last two years, $128 million, which is obscene to say the least. And I am not a Roger Goodell fan in the least. But for Goodell and not only that, but for the owners to not rally around to say, hey, listen, we got to do something about the situation in Washington because this has gone on for years. We know that whether it's strength and conditioning coaches, assistant coaches, so many people had to get fired because of the sexual assault claims or the sexual misconduct claims. And if that's been going on for that long and knowing that the owner either swept it under the rug or heard about it and kept it hush-hush. He's got to go. He's complicit well, in all coordinated this. coordinated it. Exactly. And right. So why can't the NFL step up, have some guts, Cajones. and go uh, – Yeah, I was going to say that, but, I, you know, I try to keep it PG or at least your family friendly. <laughs> right. Why can't he have the guts to go ahead? They, they're still the shield. The other owners, I'm sure they're probably sick of his antics, and they'll probably say, you know what, the Redskins – they're a great organization when you look at the history, going all the way back, Sonny Jorgensen, Billy Kilmer, uh, Joe Gibbs, the Hogs, et cetera. They haven't been on the map in God knows how long. Yeah, they've had a spattering of playoff appearances. Well, last year, wow, it's 7-8-1, but still, it's time for him to go. I'm sure they could go ahead and do whatever it takes to investigate this, and, they try, and they're trying to hide this, too, with the window dressing. Oh, well, their immunity, so we're not going to put out any of the documents or anything that has come out about this case. All right, you're going to do that, fine. Well, let's get this investigation, this investigation cracking. Let's get it complete, and let's get them out of here because the last thing that the this league or even sports needs is to have another owner still be on that team or still owning that team considering the behavior that he and his employees – have been able to take place over the last decade plus years. A hundred percent with disgusting behavior with the pipping out the cheerleaders and everything. Else. Uh, and here's the and here's the uh, here's the other thing. You know the NFL. You know the it takes all of the stuff. Giving us all these slogans. All I'm all I'm seeing is lip service and smoke and mirrors. Actions speak louder than it. words. There Get him out. It's bad enough that he that he hasn't that he hasn't won anything. And I do no. mean anything. As the owner of of the of the football as of this uh, organization, done nothing. On top of the Never. fact that he's a piece of garbage human being and a terrible boss, you have to get him out. Nobody, no owner, should be nor isn't in any in any possible estimation bigger than bigger than the league that they're a part of. 
and That's and right. you know Robert Kraft with his with his with his little you know with his <laughs> uh, I, I call them controversies per se, but Robert Kraft is one. You know Jerry Jones, JD Jones, the shameless with him. They haven't won recently, but during his right. tenure as owner, the Cowboys have won. Dan Snyder's done nothing. No, zero. Nothing in his tenure as, as, as owner of the Washington Redskins slash football team. And again, if you're really serious and you want to get your point across and you really want to prove to your female fan base, to your to your female fan base, to, to, your, to, all, to all your other fan bases in the, within the NFL or that are NFL fans that are minorities, you know, gay, black, whatever, actions speak louder than words. Don't That's just it. sit up here and give it and give us a lip service and dump the Redskins name. Yet, yet, the, yet the culture, the philosophy, the mindset, and the attitudes remain the same. Because what exactly are you really changing? I, I care more about the I and 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 you know I may I may get negative feedback for, for saying this for the dozen people that listen, but I would rather have them had rather have the team still be named the Redskins with with the with the culture with the culture ran properly the owner you know the owner treats his female employees respectfully done pip them out you know had has respect for them as human beings no sexual misconduct cases no no toxic workplace environment I'd I'd rather have that and have them and have them keep that the heinous name the you know the the uh, the culturally insensitive slash racist name I'd rather I'd rather have that and have and have the organization ran properly and ha- and and and, and, uh, and have it ran by a good owner than than have you know people succumb to the to the pressure of changing the name yet the culture is still the same because because if that because if that was the case where was the latter we actually had a good owner and had uh, and, and and Washington was still a, a top level franchise like it was back in your heyday a long time ago. It's not the owner's fault that that the team is named the Redskins. They've been, they've been, they because 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 if that was the case, they've had that name for what over eighty plus years or so. So one like they you know bought the team, changed the name, said, "Oh, we're gonna call it the Redskins now." It's been that way for a long time, and so you're gonna change it and still have the same toxic owner. You're contradicting yourself. Why bother? Why bother changing the name? Why bother? So you so you got yeah. so you got to kick them out. And then, of course, I leave yeah. the uh, hockey story to you. Uh, I've heard about it, you know, in passing and in press clippings on Twitter, everything else. Just I, you, you play host of the show for a minute and give the audience <laughs> uh, and give the audience a uh, a uh, background slash your opinion of this whole sexual misconduct situation with the Chicago Blackhawks. You, you for the next, however long you want to take, you are the host of the show and I'll sit uh, back and listen because I am no hockey expert. Go ahead. Jay. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep this as concise as possible. Uh, the Blackhawks who in the two thousands had won three Stanley cups dating back to well, really the 2010s from 2010, 2013, 2015. The head coach was Joel Quenville, who was the, most recent coach of the Florida Panthers. But the last couple of weeks, or I guess 10 days or so, a former player on the 2010 team by the name of Kyle Beach actually came out about sexual assault regarding an assistant, a uh, video coach or coach who was responsible for handling all the uh, video by the name of Brad Aldrich, how he had sexually assaulted this player. And it's interesting from this regard, because in junior hockey up in Canada, where a lot of players are foregoing their high school and 
either going through tutors or they're just saying, hey, I'm going to make it into the NHL, so I'm not even going to graduate high school. I'm just going to get a GED and play hockey and see if I could go to the NHL. There's been a lot of stories about kids that have been in situations with coaches because they're so young and impressionable where they have been assaulted by coaches, whether it's the head coach, assistant coach, and that's fact. Uh, I even mentioned uh, a guy, Sheldon Kennedy, who played for the Red Wings many years ago. For the listeners that want to Google that name, Sheldon Kennedy, they could do that. But here it is that this took place in 2010, and now it comes out 11 years later to where the GM, Stan Bowman, he's out. Another assistant uh, from the front office, he's out. Joel Quenville, the guy I just mentioned, who was the Blackhawk coach back then and was the Florida Panther coach, which was off to the best start in their franchise's history, he had to resign. And so they had to promote the interim from within, the assistant coach. It's a story that you couldn't even wrap your head around because it goes back to what we talked about with Daniel Snyder. This story or these stories had taken place so many years ago and you figure that's going to get swept under the rug or there's people are going to stay hush about it it's not going to be put out there and this is also reminiscent too on a much lesser degree uh, unless other players come out or witness this to the Penn State scenario with Joe Paterno Jerry Sandusky and everything that happened there many years ago to where there was a laundry list of kids that were molested assaulted etc and unless other players are going to come out besides this player Kyle Beach then that remains to be seen. But it's just an ugly story. Obviously, Quenville, like Gruden, he's not going to see a head coaching job at any point in his career, even in a minor league. Nobody's going to touch him. Of course, the GM, former GM Stan Bowman, he's going to be gone. Everybody else you can forget about. And it, I tell you, it's a, a story that you, you can't even make up and you literally have to shake your head at that a professional sports team had this under their watch and I get it. it. It's tough to, when you first hear stories like that, let's say if I was the coach of that team, you kind of want to just push it away or, or just ignore it, but you can't do that. That has to be addressed. I understand that to be that whistleblower to say, Hey, my guy did this. This is unacceptable, whatever. He would be more of a hero than he is now, but I get it. Players or this coach is making millions of dollars. He's won Stanley cups and Obviously, being complicit to all this is just it's just, it's ugly no matter how you slice it. 100 percent. And, you know, like you said, you can't have the and these and the thing that now worse or bad. I don't want to necessarily classify it that way. But, you know, these are these are grown. These are grown men that uh, that are doing what they love and are getting taken advantage of like this. And it is the NHL. I mean. Can we have some sort of Batman? Can we have some standards? Can we make sure that we don't have players within our sport? Uh, it's bad enough that you're at the bottom of the total pole of the four major North American sports to begin with, anyways. Why, yeah. why, why, you know, with, you know, and having these issues with, you know, getting more black players to play and everything. I mean, it, you're, you know, your sport is not exactly, you know, flying high a la the NFL, like the NFL is, is has, uh, you know, they had their issues as we discussed a few minutes ago, but. I mean, come on. I mean, have a have a little bit. Let's 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 clean it up a little bit. I mean, why are we having players within our sport sexually uh, assaulted and 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 just taking advantage of it in, in heinous ways and having it swept under the rug? I mean, th this is this is stuff. And I might and I might joke about it. This is stuff that's like borderline criminal. That yeah. you know that you that, that you better be lucky that somebody isn't you know dialing up the Chicago Police Department. 
you know, a la Hank Boyd on Chicago PD, one of my favorite shows, and come up <laughs> in that uh, Chicago Black Horse facility and start busting heads and dragging people out of there, put them in handcuffs. I mean, this is some pretty serious stuff. But uh, but I, you are the hockey expert, uh, so <laughs> I let, I had no idea about. I mean, I had an idea of it, but I didn't know it backwards and forwards. Wasn't going to pretend right. that I did. So I leave no, that I up to you. And Thanks. lastly, to close All out right. as <laughs> <anytime>. <laughs> lastly, because Jason's done a phenomenal job, um, the World Series um, with uh, the with the Houston Astros and the Atlanta Braves. You know, I tweeted this out because I tweeted this out on Sunday night because I wanted the series over Sunday. You know, why are we still playing baseball in November is, is beyond right. me. And it's just it's, uh, and like, what what are we doing? I mean, and the fact that Major League Baseball started the season in late March and we're still playing World Series games the first few weeks of November. I mean, it's it's funny. It's it's so funny, Jason. People at this time, there's a couple of nutcases at that on November the second, November the third, are putting up their dare I say Christmas decorations and oh. blasting Mariah Carey. Oh, jeez. Yet, yeah, yet, I'm not ready for that. Yet, yet, yet we're still playing baseball, which is hard to believe. Um, but you know, the Astros, they show tremendous grit, tremendous guts. No, no team is able to, to get off the deck and, and, and come and with their backs up against them. They, they're one of the best. And I can't, I, they're not players. They're players on a team that I can't stand. They're not the most embraceable stuff with the whole cheating fiasco and everything else, but boy, are they a gutty, gritty, mentally tough baseball team and you know in a sport like baseball you typically you know that's an attribute that you apply to you know basketball teams and hockey teams and football teams especially a lot of the you know the more physical sports baseball is no way entirely a physically demanding sport where you you know where it's phys- a lot of physical contact but boy do they show tr- they got they got the guts of a of a super bowl contending football team they're so freaking mentally tough and then, of course, Dusty Baker has been on the block a little bit, who I who I crown as the Andy Reid of Major League Baseball. You think he's going to get the – you think he's finally going to achieve the mountaintop or will the Atlanta Braves choke again? Listen, for Dusty's sake, I hope that uh, they do rally and win these next two games. Uh, listen, I could care less about the Astros having in 2017. I've never been one of those to be like, oh, take down the banner, make sure that you – make it uh, the 2017 world champions to the Dodgers or just leave it vacated uh, to me. You can't rewrite history. It's over and done with. So I, I never really, now listen, I don't condone what they did. The trash cans that game five, especially in the world series with Clayton Kershaw, et cetera. But like you said, this team is as gutty. And one thing that you don't see in a lot of the teams is that they have tremendous heart and look at what happened the other day. Now, granted, I understand Charlie Morton wasn't starting. They had uh, another guy that they pretty much put in in his roster spot. What's his name? Uh, I was going to say Tucker Carlson, but I know it's not Tucker Carlson. I'm just uh, teasing <laughs> when I say that. But he might as well have been Tucker Carlson because uh, yeah, with, the way he, with, the way he, uh, with the way he pitched the other night. And uh, But the bottom line is, is that the Astros, the one thing I will say, they have to get on Max Reed early. And Max Reed was not pitched well so far, especially in his last two outings. If Max Reed gets out of that first inning clean and Listen, I'm not trying to make him out to be Clayton Kershaw or Max Scherz or anything like that, but Freed, I would think he's going to be shaking his boots a little bit tonight, but I wouldn't be surprised if he goes into the fifth or sixth inning and he's either nursing, like let's say, a 3-1 lead, and then they'll just hand it over to the bullpen because 
for a guy that is good as Max Fried is, he's due to have a good start. But with that said, if the Astros, I'll be surprised if they're unable to get the equalizers tonight, only because, A, I want to see a game seven, and I understand it's November, and baseball shouldn't be played in November, but I want to see some drama, I want to see some theater. And also on top of that, if they were to go meekly in the night and let's say lose a 5-1 game, uh, that would just be typical of how baseball is in 2021 with the analytics, the length of these games, et cetera. It's just interminable to watch a nine-inning baseball game and it's midnight and you're in the bottom of the eighth or top of the eighth for that matter. It's it's brutal. But I, I hope that the Astros win. I picked the Astros at six. Obviously, that prediction is out the window. Uh, I'm going to say that they're going to win tonight. They're going to push it to a game seven. But I wouldn't be surprised if Max Fried pitches well. And if he does, the Brave bullpen could step up and just like they've done other than A.J. Minter the other night, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised also that the as good as the break bullpen has been, the back end, Tyler Matzik and even Will Smith, that I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if there's going to be a little sweat on their brow if it's a 3-2 mm-hmm. in the eighth inning or 3-2 the in the pressure. ninth and they have to go in there. Yeah, Especially exactly. playing so, on the road. Yep. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I, I can't see them. I could see them spitting a bit here at uh, in a game six. And as we've seen in the past, game sixes in the World Series have been classic. The 86 World Series, 2011, those are the two that come to mind. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing another one or two. Oh, game six at the 85, Don Denkinger. I know that was all based on the umpire, but still it goes down to history as, uh, as a classic game six in the World Series. So who knows? Maybe we'll have something like that tonight, which will set up hopefully a game seven tomorrow night in Houston. 100%. And it's funny because, you know, sat- Sunday was Charlie Morton's scheduled day to pitch and he broke his, uh, and he fractured. So, you know, it's something that I kind of, Took with a grain of salt. Well, the Braves, if they, you know, if they're up in this series, you know, they'll be fine. You know, that injury could could end up costing them a championship. And you know, yeah. and I tell you this, from a Houston standpoint, Alex Redmond had a nice double, you know, which was a catalyst to them winning the game on Sunday night. But you know, he can't go. You know, have that little nice little double go one for three uh, Sunday night a couple night a couple nights ago and then and then uh, go right back into being in a slump you know missing every miss swinging and missing at every pitch thrown his way and go if the if the Astros want to win the World Series Alex Bregman has to hit period and not <laughs> unless the unless literally all eight guys throughout their lineup now that they're back in the American League ballpark playing with the DH unless all eight guys throughout up and down the lineup hit out of their mind and hit like their literal seasons, depending on it as it is, which it already is, unless that happens, which the chances of happening is slim to none, but unless that happens, if Alex Bregman, you know, goes 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, especially if the game's close, congratulations, Braves and Dusty Baker. One last time, man, you know, wait wait till next year. And like yeah. you mentioned with the length of these games, I heard a stat on a Mad Dog show on Monday. You know, they, they you know, they've been about 28, 29 world, consecutive World Series games that have not ended before 11 o'clock at night. Uh, it's a disgrace. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, a, uh, I mean, four, four, I mean, and then these are not exactly classic thrilling games a la, you know, Red Sox Mets 1986 game six all-time classics that will be forever etched in baseball fans memory you know these you know the first two games of this series especially game one what was it seven seven to two uh atlanta and the game took up for four hours to complete 
I mean, the, uh, these these dud subpar baseball games taking flies are completely ridiculous. And I mentioned this, which, and I mentioned this back uh, about three three plus weeks ago, whatever. I understand that, that game was an all time classic and winning the extra innings, but that Tampa Red Sox game, I think it was game four, might have been. I think it was a game four. I think it was game four. Um, that classic Rays Red Sox game that went about 13 innings or so with the with the walk off with the walk off home run by Vasquez. You know, I you know uh, that game that game started started at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon when Mason Crosby and Evan McPherson were, were missing kicks during the Bengals <laughs> Packers. Think about that for a minute. That game started when Evan McPherson and Mason Crosby were struggling to make field goals. And that game did not end. I understand it went extra innings and it was a great baseball game, but that game did not end until early second quarter of Bill's chiefs on Sunday night football at about nine, nine or nine o'clock or so at night. I mean, the length of these games. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's tough to take. Yeah, it's inexcusable. And real quick, I think the believe it or not, there's a real quick and easy remedy if you ask me. And I get it. The player of 2021 is much different than the player from 1975, 100%. But people talk about a pitch clock, which yeah, I think that would work. But to me, it's the batters. When Jose Altuve gets to lead off, how many times is he jabbing at the batter's box to get himself dug in there? Get a couple of swings. Let's fix the batting gloves. Let's make sure we get all comfortable in the box. That in itself takes about 20 seconds. So you may say, oh, 20 seconds, that's nothing. All right, so now times that by the nine players that are in the lineup on both teams and put that all together. And to me, it's a disgrace. Once the pitcher throws the ball, whether it's swung and missed or taken or fouled off or even put in play, but in this case, fouled off, the minute the ball goes back to the pitcher, let's go. No, the pitcher shouldn't be looking at whatever, the stands, or uh, I got to take a few extra seconds to rub my hat or wipe the sweat right. off my brow. No, let's just go at it. Same for the guy in the batter's box. Because mm. if you watch baseball games on YouTube from many years ago, the games go by in a snap. They're so fast. Everybody's just ready to go, swing, miss, foul, in play, whatever. And that's what makes the game that much more enjoyable when it's a quick paced game. And as it is, baseball has never been a quick paced game, but compared to what it was not even 30, 40 years ago, but even 10, 12 years ago, uh, it's an abomination to say the least. And I love it baseball. Is. It's my first uh, love. Right. Same, same with me. And it's just, it's, 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 it's disgraceful. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it becomes borderline unwatchable. I mean, you gotta, got, you gotta speed things up a little bit. And then of course on top, and then of course on top of it with the, you know, we, with, with the, and this is the part where the game where the analytics ruined the sport um, oh, and oh, it ruined the sport and anything else. Cause it's gotta, okay, cause gotta bring in a bullpen guy every fifth, every 15 seconds, which holds up the game. Cause got to jog it in and then the eight warm-up pitches and then, you know, it's just, and then of course, in postseason play, it's worse because you get that added time in between innings because of the nationally televised audience. But it yes. it it absolutely it, it absolutely needs to, it needs to be changed because it's it's, it's borderline unwatchable. You can't you can't uh, watch these. I mean, these are not they're not you know then I again like Red Sox Rays where it's taking thirteen innings or, or something crazy like that. These are nine inning games and they're over three and a half hours long. So, some yes. some of them don't, technically aren't even nine inning games. They're they're eight and one half in the ninth inning because the whole team is up. Yep. And and one last thing on this with the analytics too, because I could talk about this forever and how it's ruined the sport. But maybe you could use this on your podcast because I know I use this on mine. 
And I got this from Todd Thiel, the former major league player who does uh, pre and post game on SNY for the Mets. He said it best. He says baseball in 2021, or even in the last few years, it's all about the iPad and not the eye test. That's it. 100%. Bottom line. And it's just disgraceful how these managers and the front offices, how they have to game plan beforehand to kind of dictate where the game is going to go. The games. Yes. You can't, you can't, right. You can't, you can't, this is, this is, it's not movie. It's not a TV show. You can't, you can't script this stuff. And, and, exactly. and if you do, and if you do, you can't go off of the script when the game goes, goes varying, goes varying off to the left. And, you know, and, and, and it goes in a direction that you didn't anticipate heading in. You can't, you can't win. You can't win games that way. You, you, oh. ju- you just can't, especially in baseball, where it's like so many different possible outcomes because part of the reason why you know you got to get all three outs the game doesn't go on a clock it doesn't go by down it doesn't go by shot clock play clock no. things of that nature it, you know so it's just, it's 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 absolutely it's absolutely ridiculous and it has to be changed has has to be changed but no without you know, question. jason yeah jason you did a phenomenal job you, oh, you, I hope that first was, time oh. on, first time on, you hit a you, you hit a home run, pal. Good to have you on. You did a you did an excellent job. Jai, I appreciate it. I love what you do. I'm a few episodes behind, based on uh, I have listened to so many other podcasts, but I definitely listen to yours. Obviously, you know, ever since you were on my podcast last year, obviously you have a bright future. I love your passion for sports. I listen to you when you're calling on Mad Dog all the time. I heard you on Sunday when you listen, when you talk to Mad Dog about your Bengals. And <laughs> keep it up, man. This is your passion, just like sports is mine. And as long as I'm breathing, I'm going to ride this sucker out. But obviously, I'm 52 and you're a teenager. Yeah. So you got plenty of time to go. Yeah. And all the best. All the best to you. You know, I'm going to keep on listening and keep plugging you because you are definitely the future of you're the one that's taking the baton from guys like me to go ahead to show the world that there are true diehard sports fans that tell it like it is, that are objective and pull no punches. That's the way it should be. 100%. Appreciate the love, Jason. Jason Nazario, host of the J Reels podcast. Check him out. Thanks for him for joining us. Be back to close out the the Amatelakatea's podcast in just a moment. Back right after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica TIS podcast. 
switching gears now to uh, just to recap the trade deadline that was in the National Football League. And thanks again to the fantastic uh, Jason Nazario for joining uh, yours truly there. Did an absolutely phenomenal job. Be sure to uh, hit up uh, his uh, podcast, the J Reels podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Just to give you a quick rundown on the things that I did not bring up with Jason to close out the program. Um, uh, let's, let's do the deadline first, Henry Ruggs, and then I'll scream and yell about the, uh, about the helmet-to-helmet penalty on Hilton that was just absolutely egregious. Um, just a quick note of the deadline, we touched on the major trades, Odell didn't go anywhere, uh, much, you know, which is, which is a lose-lose situation for both Odell from his career standpoint personally, and then, of course, with the, uh, with the Browns, um, uh, LeVrant, the Duvernay Tar- Tar- Tardif, the, uh, Canadian doctor, uh, who was back in action for Kansas City this season, he is now a New York Jet, uh, Melvin Ingram headed, went to the Chiefs, and really, you know, it was a lot of talk. You know, no, Evan Ingram stayed put. A lot of talk, a lot of smoke, no fire, uh, or little fire as far as the NFL. It's always like that with the NFL trading deadline anyway. Uh, Deshaun Watson will stay put. Dolphins, much to do about nothing. Stephen Ross, uh, you know, said that they were not going to go for Deshaun Watson. So it's interesting now that uh, that uh, Tua's confidence is shot. Uh, apparently now all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's going to be their guy. Interesting. Keep an eye out on the, uh, to a situation for Miami. Jalen Smith got released uh, for, by the Packers today. Um, let's see, uh, anything else? I mean, that's really it. I mean, the big move Steelers sending Melvin Ingram to the chiefs who need big time defensive help. And the Titans signed Adrian Peterson, um, uh, to replace Derek to, they signed Adrian Peterson off the street to replace, uh, Derek Henry, who will be out for the next six to eight weeks, which is a big time move as well. Uh, Henry Ruggs looks like we'll never play another down of football again, let alone see the light of the day again. Uh, convict, he got, uh, arrested and booked, uh, for a DUI resulting in a, uh, resulting in a death. Uh, early Tuesday, early Tuesday in Vegas, had a car crash that left the pet a female passenger who was in the car with injured, and left a woman for dead. Uh, the uh, Vegas Police Department arrived to the scene a little before 3:40 a.m. Vegas time, which is about 6:40, uh, which is about 6:40 uh, Eastern time, which is around the time that I actually got up to go to work this morning. Uh, uh, early enough, um, and, um, arrested uh, for driving under the influence, of course, and killing a passenger in a car crash, and within the state of Nevada, um, probation is not an option for a conviction on the charge of DUI resulting in a death, which carries a possible sentence of up from two up to 20 years, uh, in state prison, so uh, Henry Ruggs's career might be finished if, if at the earliest, will be put on hold for a decent amount of, for a, a decent amount of time, as uh, he, uh, as he uh, was has himself in serious hot water, and all prayers and thoughts and condolences go out to the uh, family of the uh, victim of which uh, Henry Ruggs ended up killing. Don't drink and drive, folks. If you're going to drink yourself half to death, either do it do it while your ass is at home. 
or uh, or if you're out, make sure that you're not driving. Call an Uber or have a friend to take you home. Please, it's not worth it. And, and your poor decisions and bad judgment don't just affect you. It affects that person that you victimize and, of course, the people that that victim knows and it's close to them. As the victim's fam, that victim, the victim's life is gone, but the people that that victim uh, left behind, their lives are forever changed because of Henry Ruggs' stupid, asinine, selfish decision that will cost them immensely. Uh, just a World Series note. The Astros were the third team ever to win a World Series game by trailing four runs, which they did after the uh, first inning grand slam that the Braves hit back on Sunday night in Game 5. First, they are the third team ever to win a World Series game by by trailing four runs after, to win by four runs after trailing by four runs, and the first to do it while facing uh, in an elimination game. I didn't get a chance to say that while Jason was on with us. Um, and also, of course, that pass interference, that uh, helmet-to-helmet uh, penalty at the ending of the Bengals-Jets game. And as I went off with Jason uh, last segment, did the did the and I, and I noticed I didn't bring it up. Uh, I I wanted to bring it up, but I didn't. Um, the, that was not the reason why the Bengals lost that game. Again, the Bengals' offense was inept. Uh, granted, they only granted they did score over thirty points, but they they had many of moments where they were inept. They couldn't put the ball in the end zone, coming off of jet turnovers. They had they stalled in the red zone one way too many times throughout the sequence of that football game. Bengals had missed tackles left and right. Again, they allowed Mike White, who what yeah Mike White, drop over thirty points on what was supposed to be a top ten defense that only that held Lamar Jackson the Ravens to a mere seventeen points all game uh, last week and ba- the previous week in Baltimore. I get that. But it, but the garbage is the fact that the is that the Jets were facing a third and six, third and six, two minute warning. Either had already passed or it was looming. The Bengals still had all three of their timeouts. They were down three late in the fourth quarter. Jets had the ball inside their own territory. Third and six again, a false start, five yard penalty, which makes it third and eleven. And uh, and and Mike Hilton makes a makes a tackle on the back there Johnson, which which stop which stops the Jets, and would have given Cincinnati and Joe Burrow an opportunity to get the ball back to march down the field to set up an Evan McPherson game tying field goal or a game winning touchdown drive, and it didn't happen, and it, and that opportunity was taken away from him because of glorious ref ball. And I do not know who the side official, who the side judge was that threw that flag that was right on top of the play. Whoever he is, and whoever the officiating, and whoever he is, he deserves to be reprimanded and 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 deserves to sit a couple of games, and and deserves to be told by his bosses up in the league office to you know to sit a couple of games because that was absolutely inexcusable and absolutely egregious. You do not in a game that was highly contested back and f- it was a competitive football game all things being considered a game that was back and forth tight close competitive game you do i say this i say this all the freaking time with these officials keep your big fat nose out of the game let the players on the field determine and decide who wins and who loses. Keep yourself out of the game. How many times do you have to go through this with these dopey officials? Keep your nosy, keep your nosy self out of the game. 
please, please. The the Bengals deserve, and I'm not you know, one of these fans to say, well, the Bengals, the Bengals didn't win. I'm not one of those fans. Well, the Bengals lost the game because it's rigged or the refs screwed us. And I'm not, I'm not doing that. The Bengals deserve to lose that game on Sunday. They did not play winning. They did not play winning best team in the AFC, AFC, AFC North type quality football. They didn't deserve to win the game. But the fact that you, the fact that just from a fan standpoint, that you got robbed of the opportunity of seeing the Bengals defense, you know, the Bengals defense make a stop if they ever needed one, and that's you know, on on a third and eleven, they get the break of all time with the Jets false start penalty to make it a third and long to put the Jets in a situation where they have to pass in that situation, you know, backed up inside their own 30-yard line or so, a point where they have to throw the ball in order for them to essentially put the game away, where they'd be an idiot to run the football because the chances of them gaining gaining the full-on 11 yards on a third long inside their own territory, you know, is slim to none. So they and so they put the Jets in a situation where they have to throw the football in order for them to put the game away. They do throw the football. It's a screen play to the. It's a screen pattern to the H back who gets stuffed at the line of scrimmage on a third and long. They, the Bengals get the the Bengals defense gets the stop that they needed to give Joe Burrow an opportunity with prime field position, most likely for them to march down the field and put Evan McPherson in a situation where they can kick the field goal to tie the game up and send it into overtime or have Joey B put the team on his shoulders and conduct the game-winning drive at the end. But you don't get a chance to see that because the stupid referee thought that little of the game and thought that little of the competitive nature that the game was all game long to stick his big fat beak into it and ruin it and, ruin it and essentially give the, get, give the Jets the game right then and there. Gives the 15-yard penalty, automatic first down. Bengals fail to stop them. Jets run out the clock. Game is over. Jets win the game. I mean, that is and that that if you're a referee, you cannot be more clueless, more you cannot be more clueless, more stupid, more idiotic, more more less self-aware. And, and and just and just out of out of touch and out of sorts with the game by calling it on that on, on in that in that circumstance you can't be more clueless you can't be more quote unquote tone deaf keep yourself out of the game please please you know and 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 no disrespecting the Jets it is the Jets. The Jets have lost many a game where they play well for, for what, for 57, 58 minutes, and then the final two minutes of, of, of a football game where, it, where you know, where, where the margin it was is within a field goal or a touchdown, the good old Jets show up in the last two minutes, 90 seconds, 45 seconds, 30 seconds, and a game that it looked that the Jets, you know, were going were gonna to walk away confidently with the games that the Jets were going to walk away confidently with the win, you, you you bat your eye and all of a sudden, you know, the the Jets lose lose another football game. They've done that many, 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 many a times over the last few seasons or so. 
many a times where the Jets look like they're going to win the game, going away, last two minutes, last 90 seconds, last 80 seconds, last 60 seconds, last 45, 30 seconds of a football game. It was like, oh, the, the you know, the Jets, the, the, you know, congratulations, Jets, you won a game. The Jets got this game locked up, psych, and then the Jets invent new ways to, you know, and, you know invent new ways a la the Giants to lose and blow football games and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, you know, you're scratching your head saying, how in the world did the Jets had to, how how in the world did the Jets lose a football game that they had in full control for 58 minutes? They've done it too many times. Now, again, they outplayed Cincinnati. They deserve to win the game. And I'm not saying that the game was necessarily stolen from the Bengals because it wasn't. They got no that game should have never been closed against the one win New York Jets team and you're five and two coming off of beating Baltimore the way that you did. But the fact that the opportunity for the Bengals to have a last second effort to either tie the game to send it into overtime or to win the game via a Joe Burrow game winning drive, the fact that that was taken away from us football fans and taking away from yours truly the diehard Bengals fan by a referee that thought that little of the game and and and, and is that much of uh, and is that much of a cocky want to be seen horrendous incompetent referee that he decides to throw the penalty flag on that is an absolute joke and is an utter disgrace Okay, where where was where was the where was the was the uh, was the, was the guy Williams? Where was he supposed to duck his head at? Where where he if anything he's the one that initiates the contact because he catches the ball and by him bracing for the hit he tucks his head and brings his head down low. How is Mike Hilton supposed to make the tackle? What are we playing two hand touch a flag? How else is he supposed to do his job? I understand about player safety and avoiding the helmet-to-helmet hits and the CTE scare and everything else, but how is he supposed to make the tackle? I understand that we want to cut down on the helmet-to-helmet hits, but it's not by happenstance, it's not by coincidence why these guys still wear helmets. Because helmet-to-helmet contact every now and again, not even not even you know trying to take a guy's head off, but incidental helmet-to-helmet contact is going to happen every now and again. It's part of the sport. Unless you want to take the helmets off and put flags on them or 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 or, or screw the flags and screw the shoulder pads, we'll play two-hand touch instead. How is Mike Hilton? How is Mike Hilton supposed to tackle him? How's he supposed to tackle John how's he supposed to tackle Johnson? How? Explain explain. How's he supposed to tackle him? He lowers his head and initiates the contact by lowering his head. How is he he supposed to make the tackle? And if there's anyone that got worse of the helmet-to-helmet contact, it's Hilton. Hilton ends up on the ground and Johnson's still on his feet. I mean, a, a, and it was a competitive football game, but the fact that it got decided, and the fact that the that the officials didn't allow the Jets to either blow the game or didn't allow the Bengals to to uh, to beat themselves one last time, uh, didn't allow for for either team to to uh, you know to give the coup de grace to each other to end the game. The fact that the officials, you know, stuck their big fat black and white beacon to the games again. 
and ruined the ending of that football game and, and prematurely ended it before we had an opportunity to see if the Bengals were going to respond offensively or if the Jets' defense coming off of the uh, Burrow interception was going to make another stop to put the game on ice. The fact that we didn't get a chance to see that, just not even as a Bengals fan, but as a football fan watching that game from start to finish, is an absolute disgrace. That the referee again has to has to put himself in the middle of the game and and and, and, and steal an opportunity for you know and steal an oppor an a, a, a an oppor a, a an opponent's opportunity and chance to see if they have a chance to uh, to either seal the game if you're the Jets or come back from the dead if you're Cincinnati and tie the game and send it into overtime or uh, or win the game via a last-second game-winning touchdown drive conducted by Burrow. And the fact we didn't get a chance to see that because the refs, again, felt the need to get involved when they had no business to get involved over a ticky-tacky, stupid, bang-bang uh, play that was the Hilton tackle is an absolute joke and is an utter disgrace. A, nap a, a disgrace! Keep yourself out of the game. How many times do you have to keep on going through this? My goodness gracious. I mean, how 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 is Hilton supposed to tackle him? How? Johnson lowered his head and lowered his helmet. You, you can't avoid helmet-to-helmet contact at that point. And again, who got worse to the head, Johnson or Mike Hilton? The fact that that game essentially ended that way was bogus. You know... Let 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 the let the Bengals beat themselves, refs. Don't do it for them. You you beat you on on top of the Bengals ineptitude being uh, being the coup de grace to them losing the game pisses me off more than if than if the than if the Bengals just would have let the Jets convert it on that third and third and eleven by itself. Because the fact that you stuck your nose that you stuck your nose in their business, you know, takes away takes away the what ifs, all the what ifs that that could have occurred. What if the Bengals, you know, on the punt on on the on the punt back, take it back and and and, and score a touchdown? What if you know Joe, you know, does Joe Burrow throw an interception at the goal line and the Jets seal the game at the last second like the Packers did with the Cardinals a few days before? Does Joe Burrow, you know, hit Jamar Chase who had a quiet day for the most part? Does he, you know, does he throw a game-winning touchdown pass with ten seconds left in the game? You know, get the ball at their thirty-five yard line and go down the field sixty-plus yards on one play? You know. Do, do they decide to run the ball and Joe Mixon burst one free? Do they, you know, do they get right there, fail to score, and Evan McPherson kicks a field goal, sends it into overtime, and then Mike White wins the game? You don't know. Which is why the refs should stay the hell out of these games. It's ridiculous, and and, and it ruins the experience. And it's a, it's a joke. It really, is a joke. It ruins the experience, it ruins the ebb and flow of the game, and, and it takes away with what's, albeit I was, I was pissed off at the, at the result, but objectively speaking, it was an entertaining and very, very, very good football game. If, if you like football, unless you're a Bengals fan, you had, you've had to have, if you, if you watched it down by down, play by play, quarter by quarter, you, you could not have hated the Bengals-Jets game. One of the best games of week eight as far as I'm concerned. But anyway... I had to get that off my chest. Didn't have a chance to scream and yell about it when uh, Jason was on. But anyway, I digress.
But that is your episode of the Amatella Catalia's podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and you're new to the program, please subscribe. If you haven't already, subscribe to Jay's podcast, the Jay Reels podcast on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow your boy on Twitter and Instagram at the Jay Shield and the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatel underscore Italias. I will talk to you guys later this week on Friday. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. Talk to you. See you.